Hello again, friends. The great Brian Last here. You there. We're back with another very special omnibus. We're back on the bus. This time, Funniest Moments, Volume 2. The funniest moments of this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Well, now, what are those funny moments, Brian? Do you want to rattle them off here real quick, or do the people have to just listen to find out? We don't want any spoilers here, but lots of ha-has, lots of uh, chuckles. Lots of yuck-yucks. Lots of yuck-yucks. Couple of chuckle fucks. Your appearance at the comedy toilet. All the various things that we've done that were just in the line of comedy here on the show. You know, I, I can't imagine why that club didn't take off, the comedy toilet. They had great uh, appetizers, but anyway... Um, and so basically this is frivolity, hilarity, joshiness, not Joshi, but joshingness, <laughs> joshiness. we're joshing each other and, uh, and all kinds of, of just tickle pink fun that we've had over the, uh, over the various months of the program since the last time we did volume one well, of the funniest moments, right? This is th like, this is not just since volume one. This is various moments throughout the history of the show. Oh, so we've gone back and found some we missed in volume one. That is correct. And didn't have time for, didn't have room for, whatever. Maybe overlooked and hidden gems here. That is correct. To to make a funny hidden gems, you see. You made a funny. Well, there you go. Well, then, if folks, if you want to laugh until you strain your milk, and piss is running down the inside of your leg like wine. Uh, but then you're going to have to listen to this special on-the-bus presentation for no good reason. This is not even a holiday. You just did this, Brian, you and the Arcadian Vanguard minions, out of the generosity and charitableness of your heart. This is something to brighten everyone's day. If you're having a rough day, put this on. We are as close to guaranteeing a laugh as we could be without being sued for guaranteeing a laugh. But that's it. Who was the last person to be sued for guaranteeing a laugh? I don't know. That's a question. I think for we're Stephen. safe. I think we're safe. So we guarantee you people, if you don't laugh, there's something wrong with you. How about that? That's right. You are the problem, but let's hear what would cause some other problems. Let's go to volume two of the funniest moments of Jim Cornette on the podcast. What a horrible name for the show that is. Let's go to volume two of the funniest moments right now. That's going to make volume three. We've got this coast-coast uh, -coast intercontinental coaxial cable hookup between your house and my house, Castle Cornet and Last Manor, where we're apparently going to simulcast this, this video that we're about to talk about and where we can both see it and hear it at the same time and, and the folks can hear it at least. Um, but it's by the, this Enzo Amore. And... The artist formerly known. <laughs> so he can't well, use that name ever again. Yeah. He can. Well, oh, that, that's that's not even his name. No, his name is like so, Eric Arndt. Well, well, but I, I knew it wasn't his real. But I mean, it's not the name does not belong to him. Is what I'm trying to say to you. No, they gave. So him. So what's he calling himself now? You know, Dick Putts or what? Real one. Okay, it sounds like a fucking uh, radio network to challenge the NPR folks, but. Um, anyway, this guy, uh, he was accused as, as we figured falsely by a woman on the internet who apparently was goddamn fucking nuts and just, they were all nuts. I believe that's what inspired me to coin the phrase. If you don't want to be people to think you're stupid, don't do stupid shit and don't hang around stupid people doing stupid shit. Cause they were all a bunch of stupid people hanging around with each other doing stupid shit. Right. 
And, but he basically got fired from the WWE for not telling them that he'd been under investigation for rape and who to sodomy with a goat and whatever the fuck he was charged with while they were pushing him as a top guy on television. Was that basically the, the summation of it? I believe so, yes. And since then, we hadn't heard from him. Thankfully, the world's been a quieter and better place because I did get emails from a few people that I have worked with in the past within the the broad WWE umbrella, let's say. That takes in a lot of people who said that they have met this fucking guy and that I would have probably shot him or stabbed him in the heart with an ink pen or done something to to murder him within a week of having him in any of my programs, right? He just, he's an annoying fuck. Signed Linda McMahon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, but I've never met him. Don't know anything about him except what I've been told, which hadn't been favorable. I've, I've, I've watched him on a couple of his performances. If you can call him out on television. And I don't see why the fuck that anybody would want to watch that or hear him talk or whatever the fuck. But apparently he had a good catchphrase, uh, which is all important these days. So now after however many months it's been, this guy has broken his silence and he has issued this video that he that this rap video that he believes is i guess a gonna uh, redeem him as a, a major entertainer and restore his career and he's going to be a big star and and a lot of people have seen this thing but i'm 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 thinking that many of them may be watching it ironically from what i can gather from this guy do you think that's the case i'm not sure if he understands irony well, I don't know if he understood, but I have a feeling a lot of people are watching this like they watch the fucking, you know, a video with the Benny Hill music of fucking people falling down the fucking hill or whatever. But anyway, so you're going to apparently be able to, to to press the play button and we're going to all watch this and listen to this together. This is this is Enzo Amore, who is now real one and his new rap video, right? I, I believe so. I believe we'll be able to do it. I know Styles is in Barbados this week, but I think I can handle this intercontinental. He's, he's still in that rehab facility. I'm telling you, that's what the real story is. And with friends like you giving that away, well, I think he may stay there a little bit longer. <laughs> oh, I guess I guess that was in public, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't no. really mean to do that. All right. Well, listen, let's let's play this video. If you are ready, I will play yes, this. I'm yes. going to make it a little lower, so hopefully you can comment over what you see. If it's too loud, <laughs> uh, just honk your horn or something. I'll okay, make it a very, very good. We are live from Brooklyn, New York, for the 25th anniversary of sports. Oh, God damn, gained a lot of weight. We will be live. Oh, no, that's not him. Oh, this guy's not him? No, he's a spoof of wrestling fans. It's the 25th anniversary of wrestling tonight. And if you knew anything about commitment... You wouldn't be asking me to go to the store for you. Now let me say and do my work. You fucking piece of shit in that wrestling. What the? Oh, so he's insulting the wrestling fans that are probably the only people that give a shit whether he bursts into flames or not. Well, no, you see, this guy's now getting upset. Because he just saw something on TV. Lobby, son of a bitch, oh. sitting on your fucking couch with your fucking phone in your hand, doing your what? armchair detective work. Oh, good lord. What the fuck's going on? When was the last time you kept a two-month social media sound? You think I wasn't going to say shit? I'ma let y'all talk shit, talk shit. If I had a fuck to give, I would give it. If you're a frog, you ain't got to leave for you, got to do his rhythm. Wait a minute, I thought this was in English. 
for a minute, then a minute to win it. Sky's the limit. Sorry, officer, gotta admit it. Yeah, I'm over the limit. Left car down with a one-way ticket. Rolled up with it. Spark that bitch. Turn on it down with it. Let my lips. Piss like slits. Bitch, I just shit it. I spill the hate on the crazy eights. Uh, let's see y'all pivot. Ball my court. Bounce back. We're number 24. Walk shit footprint right off my image. Wow. just love. For the first time ever, I'm speechless. This is the first time people have seen it in a What's he gonna say? What's he gonna do? Got him on the toes like a midget. Out of here. Is this why he got kicked off all those buses? Couple tears at the funeral. They cut his joy. Who funded this? Who the fuck funded this? What the fuck? Obviously, he did. Phoenix middle finger to the sky, gripping my consensual penis. Are you sure this isn't a therapy tape from his his Commitment ceremony? Proof was the only ingredient I used to make this shit. They can feel when you're real. When you genuine, you buy the win. Six years as a role model. Time to start the remodel. Go on full throttle. I ain't thinking about tomorrow. I ain't got a buck to bar. Lawyer up and wipe it down. See you at the civil trial. Bitch, and wages getting See you at the civil trial. Now he's dragging a casket. My image that you taught us. I ain't asking for an ounce of sorrow. So this was in my life. I can't wait for tomorrow. I can't wait for tomorrow. Rockstar lifestyle might not make it. Fame can be forsaken. Tweeting allegation, falsified statement, fake news and defamation. Do the media speculation based on misinformation is the basis of damnation for our whole fucking nation. Break a story, and then you jump to conclusions. Break an ankle when you land and never cast a resolution. He passed their wellness program. In the midst of dissolution, choosing public prosecution over constitution. Ain't the right solution. Gender persecution hurts the Me Too movement and our women's revolution. The fuck you do? All of you He's defending the Me Too revolution. I stand by you. Justice long overdue. So here's a big fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, from me to you. And to anyone that's out of me, my dear mama's still fucking proud of me. You got your 15 minutes, girl. I ain't mad at you. I'm a love for you. I got me against the world. It's still our eyes. From the ashes like it a never <laughs> It never ends. It never ends. It, I don't know what he's doing. He's grabbing his consensual penis again. Out in Phoenix, when I say the shit, I mean I can't imagine. This for all my fans are waiting. And it's taking its hottest free age. Bitch, I'm reincarnated. Uh, I can't imagine anybody wants to consent with that penis. I just I just had to look up the lyrics and I pulled up a few of them right here. Well, yeah, because I honestly was he he was speaking English most of that time, wasn't he? It's just I recognized a few of the words. It's just that he's so horrible at what he's apparently doing. Help me. Re, re, what was some of the stuff he was saying? Still, I rise from the ashes like a phoenix. 
Middle finger to the ground. <laughs> yeah, hold on. <laughs> hold on. <clears throat> Still, I rise from the ashes like a phoenix. Middle finger to the screen. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'll get through this. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Still, I rise from the ashes like a phoenix. Middle finger to the sky, gripping my consensual penis. <laughs> Lion ass hoe at a phoenix. <laughs> <sighs> Bitch, them wages getting garnished for my image that you tarnished. <laughs> 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 I gotta see if I can find more of these lyrics. Hold on. <laughs> oh, I can just see. I can see them presenting the case of how great his image was before she tarnished it. <laughs> oh <my laughs> fucking moron. Like I said, I've never met the guy, but now I officially hate him. Uh, yeah, I, I would have, I would have stabbed him in the heart the first day, probably. It's really hard to read this because it's just kind of like words. I'm gonna let you talk shit, talk shit. If I had a fuck to give, I would give it. If you feel froggy, ain't got a leap. All you gotta do is rib it. Getting on zero fucks, <laughs> give an exhibit. I got nothing to lose, minute for minute. Then I'm in it to win it. Sky's the limit. Sorry, officer. Got to admit it. Yeah, I'm over the limit. <laughs> Left court now with a one-way ticket. Rolled up with it. Sparked that bitch. Hut 99 to left. <laughs> what? what? There's... Is, there, is there any cooking recipes in the fucking lyrics? That's verse one. Oh, what did, uh, don't go any further. Consensual um, penis. By the way, that should have been the name of the track if you really wanted to make an impact. Yeah, yeah. actually, that would have been the one thing that he should have done. Do you remember Detachable Penis, the song in the early 90s? I, I fortunately missed that. King Missile, I think. Detachable Penis. But anyway. Was it was it the later Lorena Bobbitt story? or it, it actually came out right around that same time, I believe. Maybe a few years before that, yes. Well, there you have it. But Enzo Amore, or excuse me, Real One, staging a, a comeback of sorts. I don't know what he's coming back to or... <laughs> <laughs> who he's coming back to but how much you th what kind of how wonder who that, you know that, that was that's well done yeah. i mean as far as the video if, if, if you know that's why i think that's why people are watching it because i've never seen video that looked that professional of a guy having a fucking complete mental meltdown and just you just want to reach through and just punch him in the fucking face through the goddamn screen but at the same time the budget was but isn't he the fucking mark for himself that that bought like a ten thousand dollar front row UFC ticket or what, or for McGregor and Mayweather or one of the big fights just so he could be there. Cause he thinks people care. Yeah. And then there were stories, uh, you know, he was going out with that Liv Morgan, who's now on the main roster, who's a very attractive uh, woman, I must say. And apparently he was cheating on her and he was running into strippers and he would just like turn them off. So they would start like going on social media and be like, who's this guy telling me he's a star making millions of dollars. I've never heard of this guy. He would go in there and try to like big time the strippers. And, and they oh, for God's sake. Brian <laughs> <laughs> last, you are a, you are precognificent. You have the, the talent of precognition because without even knowing I told you I was going to have a story for you, and without even knowing, you have cut right into the crux of the heart of my story and set it up to be even, even more scintillating with your opening there. Take care of each other.
wear a mask, don't go outside, blah, blah, everything that you just said. You know, we're, we're off kilter and off schedule again here because we did an extra show this past week. And so even though we're, we're actually ahead of that, we're a day behind on our past couple of shows because we, we wanted everybody to be able to stay with us. We didn't want to hop ahead of you. So we, since we did an extra show, we left a couple of days in between the rest of the shows. So we're one day late with this one now. We've caught up, basically. But it's already, it's off. Usually we do this on Sunday morning. And somebody's usually had a chance to make me grumpy. But in this case, I've actually gone out in public and got grumpy today. And now we're doing this program. And I believe, I, I actually, I was talking to Bree, my lovely clerk at the post office, on one of our visits here a few weeks ago, when they uh, announced that uh, they were doing a new rule, that everybody that comes into the post office has to be wearing a mask. All the, the customers, right? And she was saying that she said, I said, well, what are you going to do if they don't? Are you, you going to tell them, do you have some to give out? And they said, she said, well, we're not doing that because they tell us to tell people these things. But then we, you know, it's like people make a big issue and a big stink and it caught, everybody gets cussed. And it caught, I said, you mean to tell me people would make an issue out of it? If you said it's post office requirement to come in this facility, you have to cover your face up in the middle of a global pandemic. And she rolled her eyes. She said, people will make an issue out of anything, right? So I said, well, if you want me to, I said, I wish I had more time. When I get more time, if this is still going on, if you want me to, I'd, I'd love to volunteer to come in and be your mask doorman and tell people to cover your face up, right? Because at first, I thought covering my face up, I'm definitely going to do that. When we first started all this, to go outside and who knows who's going to breathe on me. Then we found out. Well, it's not so much that we're wearing the mask for ourselves. It helps us not make other people sick. Well, I'm still wearing the fucking thing. Mentally, I think it gives me some fucking cover, but also I'm being goddamn a good citizen, right? So, and and I guess it does help this story to know also, like you know, Brian, that that my more major episodes, things that get reported in the newspaper or are the subject of legal controversy when I lose my temper. Generally, it's because something has been building, right? Whether it's with that individual person or not, but I've been, I've been working too hard. You know, Smoky Mountain Wrestling's down. <laughs> I haven't had a lot of sleep. Possibly someone's been fucking with me that I feel that I'm particularly put out about because I feel that I've been particularly good to them in the past. Whatever the case may be, do your own math on it. Uh, sometimes these things happen when I'm not in the proper mood to be out in public. So that helps to know that. So anyway, I go to the post office this morning, and by the way, folks, we'll do a merchandise update later. Don't want to drag the story down, but I do the. I, I, I go to the post office. I got the dolly, got the boxes inside. When I go in, I see that there are a couple people in line in the lobby, but they've spread out extra far, and I'm not going to argue with anybody that wants to do that. So the guy is right in the doorway of the post office lobby and that you know where you can't really get in unless you're infringing on his space so i'm back behind where the people come in the flow of traffic from the entry doors right you're gonna have to form the line behind me i'm giving this guy his his room a guy comes in 
this guy is the epitome of a Republican. Now, whereas I'm in the post office ninja outfit, long pants, long sleeve windbreaker, zipped up, mask, latex gloves, <clears throat> this guy is coming in in slacks, a short sleeve designer polo shirt, barehanded, nothing over his fucking face. And to be, and he's, as I said, he's the epitome of a Republican because he looks like Jeffrey Epstein, not the fucking prison pictures, but the, you know, uh, the partying on the yacht and he's got the gray hair and he's very groomed Jeffrey Epstein. But I don't know if he's prematurely gray or he's about my age or whatever, but he's my height and my weight, which could figure into this story here in a minute. So he comes through and I back up to let him through and he goes and he drops some of his stuff off in the in the box, the the slot there, right? He's not going in the lobby and he goes out the front doors. I go back to where I was. And a minute later, he comes in with one box and he goes around me. He's going to stand in line. Fine. Guess where this non-mask-wearing guy decide, decides to stand in line behind me, Brian Last? I don't know. About three to four feet behind me. I turned around and looked over my shoulder. I said, buddy, if you ain't going to be wearing a mask, I'd appreciate it if you'd give me a little more space. Now, he can see that I can't give crowd this guy nor the entry doors any further, right? I'm where I got to be at this particular point in this fucking exchange. But he looks down, and where they've got the every six feet fucking markers says, well, I'm standing where I'm supposed to be. He, of course, ignored the sign on the front door if he's a big deal with fucking following directions where you're supposed to be wearing a fucking mask before you come in this joint, right? But that he ain't thinking about that now. <laughs> he says, I'm standing where I'm supposed to be. I said, well, since I can't go anywhere without infringing on him, I think I'd appreciate it if you'd back up a couple feet. And I turn around, and he makes a half-hearted attempt to, you know, take the step back, but he gives me the two feet, and I turn back around. I'm standing, huh. I turned back around and I said, is this conversation still ongoing? I had assumed that we were finished. I thought this interaction was over with. Is there a problem or something that needs to be brought up? I need to know anything else about. You know what he said to me, Brian? No. He said, <clears throat> why don't you turn around and mind your own business? <laughs> And I said to him, well, motherfucker, it is my goddamn business if you want to come over here and slobber your fucking germs on me without covering your fucking face up. So I didn't realize this exchange was still going on. It can continue or it cannot. It's up to you. Brian? <laughs> Do you know what he said then to me? I do not, no. He said, what are you, a tough guy? <laughs> I shoved that fucking metal dolly over, boom, and goddamn said, no, motherfucker, I'm a crazy guy that don't give a fuck right here, right now, because I'm fed the fuck up, and one of us is going to jail, and the other one's going to the hospital, and we're going to work it out right now. At this point, I don't think that he <laughs> assumed that this was going to escalate this quickly. 
And he had the kind of look on his face that indicated that he did not know that this was going to escalate this quickly. Of course. <laughs> As did the fucking manager of the post office who comes out the door and running around the corner and he sees me. I've dropped fucking 40 grand in there since January 1st, right? And this other guy. And I'm sorry. I said, you fucking slobbering fuck. I will fucking <laughs> turn your brain. <laughs> the words fuck and cocksucker are enveloping through the fucking room. And Bree's looking around now. And here comes Lib. And now I know what a lot of people are thinking. Cornet, you're old. You got a lot of injuries. Here's the fucking deal at this exact moment. If this was one of the boys or a member of the Gracie family, I, it probably wouldn't have gone this far. But at this point, A, I'm on the edge of losing control of what the fuck I'm doing to begin with, which is how I get myself in these other issues. And B, this guy just had smart-ass words with somebody he's never seen before in the fucking post office lobby, and I don't know if he's willing to even risk the fact of going to jail or the hospital for it, but I myself am envisioning a bunch of fucking people that have been fucking with me from far, far away, but he's standing right in front of me, and I see that goddamn metal fucking sign that holds up the deal that says ship your packages efficiently with the U.S. post office that I can turn right upside down and swing like a baseball bat and bash his brains into fucking jelly <clears throat> upon which if anybody pries that away from me I can start going for his fucking eyeballs and try to get my fingers one or two knuckles deep in those before anybody else fucking does anything about it and at that point I've lost complete control of what I'm doing and I'm willing to fucking do that so that's the advantage that I have over this motherfucker at this fucking point in time. So fuck him. So at that point, the manager goes over to this guy and grabs his packages and he takes him somewhere. I don't know. I have fucking said fucking 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 a few more times. I don't ex actually remember what I said to the guy as he was going down the hallway there, grabbed my shit, turned it over and wheeled it into fucking ship. At which point, miraculously, the rest of the lobby was somehow empty. Even though when I had turned around to speak to this gentleman, there was a few people in line and I couldn't get in the door. I wheeled right up to the fucking desk at that point. But you know what? I'm sorry. But especially if I'm wearing a fucking wet goddamn sock over my face to protect you fucking cretins out there, all you non-mask wearing fuckers, as far as I told, was it you I told or was it on the air here? Was it Bree I told a few weeks ago? Non-mask wearers going to be the new hate crime. Because if you don't want to cover your fucking slobbering face up and you get anywhere in a six-foot radius of me and do not take one polite request to back the fuck up, I will bash you over the head with something because fuck you. You don't seem to be fucking minding giving me a goddamn deadly possible disease. You don't seem to have any respect or fucking uh, sympathy or fucking consideration for me. So fuck you, you Republican cocksuckers, because that's all it is, once again, is he's science denying. Did you see the goddamn, uh, from Florida, obviously, of course, the town or city hall meeting or one of those things they do on cable access where they let everybody get up and fucking speak, and there were the fucking middle-aged white twats in their fucking Trump t-shirts saying that God gave us a precious gift of breath that we shouldn't cover up and it's against God's will to wear masks. Or the fucking goofs in fucking in the supermarket 
throwing their shit out of their basket because people tell them wear a fucking mask while people are around buying their fucking food. If you're in a goddamn grocery store not wearing a mask and you're fucking around, people are buying food to take home for themselves, you ought to be hauled off to fucking jail for attempting to poison people's food supply and also for being an inconsiderate Republican science-denying fuck, you pieces of shit. So don't be expecting to be anywhere near me without some covering up your slobbery fucking mouth is the point of this fucking story, or shit will take place. Let's start right off with uh, Marty. What the fuck is going on with Marty Jannetty? Is, is this a Billy Jack Haynes incident? Has he lost his faculties? Is something wrong? Or... or did was this late at night and he was had been watching a movie that he appropriated some of the plot for his own story what happened here i don't have any firm answers on this in terms of his faculties i mean there have been stories about marty Jannetty for years i think it's either him and the iron sheik that have the record for the amount of times being fired by wwe well but now in all honesty a couple of those i don't think were deserved for marty <laughs> <laughs> they they brought him back at one time they made him one of the new rockers remember that with poor old al snow who had uh been doomed from the start when they made him avatar and he became leaf cassidy that one you know but i i never i've worked with marty marty worked for me went on the super bowl of wrestling in smoky mountain which is where he ran into Shawn Michaels again, and that's why the fucking they hired him back. Shawn, I think, said something like, I saw Marty. He had a great match with Al Snow. As a matter of fact, that's where they both got a goddamn job. Yeah, he replaced another murderer. All right, <laughs> quit now. <laughs> that was supposed to be Chris Benoit. Um, but that was the thing. Al Snow and Marty Jannetty had like a 30-minute match that night. Just tore the house down. Great fucking work. And they both got hired and never had a good match again in the WWF. They got hired off that match and didn't have an, another good one ever because they weren't given an opportunity. Um, but anyway, a point I was making is Marty was wild and one of the rockers. You know, they were living the rock and roll lifestyle back in the 80s. But I, I never had an issue with him. I I don't know him that well, haven't seen him in ages and ages, but he didn't used to come off to me as a person who was nuts. So I, I, I guess if, I'm assuming that everybody knows what happened and we should backtrack on this because some people may not have been, it might not be their week to watch old Marty and see yeah. what he's up to. I wouldn't assume everyone knows what happened because it's still a fluid story. It's still... A fluid story. I think it's more solid than fluid. <laughs> I think it's number two instead of number one, to be honest with you. Um, Marty Jannetty gets on Facebook and apparently says, in, in the process of having an argument with a lady or woman or whoever that he's seeing or saying something you know, bad about her, said, well, hey, I remember the first person I made disappear. They didn't look in the Chattahoochee River. They might have found him. And then he goes on in an interview after this creates some consternation, this comment. Um, he goes on in an interview to say that, oh, and he said a few other things too, but basically the story in that first tweet or first post and then said some other things to flesh it out. Basically, the story is he was 13 years old, living in Columbus, Georgia. Everybody knows that's where, where that's where Marty Jannetty is from. Beautiful Columbus, Georgia, home of Fred Ward and Ralph Freed, old rooster. And 
he went to buy weed at 13 years of age from a homosexual gentleman, apparently who he called the F word, who worked at a bowling alley that apparently did Marty Jannetty also work there? Or did he just hang around to, to buy weed? He, may, he might've worked there also in the story. And in the course of trying to buy the weed from this gentleman, he was probably the, the, the homosexual gentleman was probably the guy that sold you the shoes or rented you the shoes. And you wouldn't think a gay guy would want that job because those things, the most unstylish fucking things, but I digress. So instead of selling Marty Janetti the weed, the bowling alley attendant tries to sexually assault him, grabs him and drags him to the back alley of their back behind the alley where he attempts to pull his pants down and apparently anally protrude Marty, a young 13 year old Marty Janetti and Marty picks up a brick, hits the guy over the head with it, kills him accidentally. But then, of course, what you do every time that you're a 13-year-old prospective weed customer in a back alley behind a bowling alley where you've just killed a gay guy trying to anally protrude you with a brick, you don't call the police. You throw the body in the Chattahoochee River. Have I pretty much relayed to the listeners out there the story that Marty Jannetty is telling out of his lips. I think so. The only other detail I saw was, I guess he said that he didn't tell his brother because his brother would have gone down there and killed the guy. However, he was already, that, that's right. That's the best <laughs> thing. That's the other thing he said. To I didn't tell my brother because I didn't want my brother to go away. He had just come back from Vietnam. Apparently, he would have gone down and killed the dead guy. Does that make any My brother would have gone down there and done some, what would he have done? Dove in a Chattahoochee river, brought the body up and fucking pummeled it about the head and face. So he's already contradicted himself. He didn't tell his brother what happened. He took matters in his own hands and hit the guy with a brick and then disposed of the body. But he didn't tell his brother because his brother would have gone down there and done what to who. So anyway, Apparently not since Columbus, Georgia has not been a hotbed for wrestling since the days of promoter Fred Ward. The police department in Columbus doesn't know that there's a high ratio of wrestlers that are full of horse shit. And they have said that they've announced that they've, they've, they're in, in, in conducting an investigation into this. Now it won't be a full fledged FBI manhunt because they do have some open, murder cases pending, but they're going to investigate this. I'm hoping that they just said that to get stupid fucking wrestling website people off their back, calling them to ask them about this because what if he did it? What if they drain that river? <laughs> they find if they drain the Chattahoochee river, we've got bigger <laughs> issues of whether Marty Janetti committed murder when he was 13 years old. That would be an engineering feat that would fucking blow the Panama Canal out of the fucking park. <laughs> or the Panama Sunrise or any of those other moves Adam Cole does. But here's the fucking thing. Besides the fact that it's known that wrestlers are full of shit and perhaps Marty wanted some attention or perhaps he was mad at the young lady that he was speaking about and he wanted to put the fear of the the new rockers in her heart. But when you get that specific, I'm not talking about the cops wanting to run. I'm talking about he has said this 
on a in a wrestling website at a wrestling oriented interview or whatever he fleshed out these details this shouldn't be hard to fucking check and when somebody does check they're either going to find out that yeah well apparently there's something wrong or he's just full of shit because how hard would it be to document in the year 1973, when Marty Jannetty was 13 years old, or let's say he was off a year or two, let's say anybody from 1971 to 1975, did anyone working at this particular bowling alley suddenly one day disappear and never show up again? Did anybody call and complain about same? Any family members? Hey, have you seen Clem? We haven't seen him in about six months or so. We were wondering if he was still at work. I haven't seen him since he was selling weed to that 13-year-old kid. Yeah. With the really good super kick. (laughs) And so that should not be hard to chase down. And if nobody, there are newspaper files, any missing persons, the cops would know these things. It seems like the cops could just go over to a file cabinet. And unless this motherfucker was the most friendless, loneliest, no family having fucking unpopular motherfucker in town. And when he disappeared, everybody, including his landlord, who he never paid rent to again, or his fucking house that he never went home to again and says, probably his still employer, sitting there. His employer. Who? Hey, who's on shoes? Oh, yeah, who's was Clem. We don't know where he went. Who's Clem? <laughs> <laughs> who's on Gorilla? Bill. Bill's on Gorilla. I got that one night at Ring of Honor. Who's on Gorilla? Bill. Who the fuck is Bill? They put some guy <laughs> into the wrestling school seminar, gave him a headset, and put him on Gorilla because they didn't have anybody else. Anyway, yeah. Did this? Did, did did anybody never come home? I bet you his TV is still tuned to the same channel that it was when he when he left home that day. 40 fucking five years ago or whatever. So the point is what the fuck I'm so, and this is supposed to be my generation. I'm taking up for these guys, not specifically, but in the generation of these guys like Marty as being the fucking people who knew what the fuck was going on in the wrestling business. And then they come out and be completely fucking lunatic in a completely different way. If they determine, which more than likely they would, that this was a made up story, that there was no, teenage murder mystery with a young Marty Jannetty. Should there be charges filed against him? He's wasting police time. What? No, he's concocting this story and they they have to go research it now. He's not wasting police time. He said something to somebody he's mad at on Facebook. And then the wrestling websites picked it up in the headline. Did Marty Jannetty just confess to committing murder? And so then he gets an interview and he goes with it. What the fuck? Any, anybody wasting the cops time is it's anybody that fucking believes this and is calling them for comment. And the next wasting of time would be anybody, unfortunately, listening to Marty, unless he's talking about wrestling or telling wrestling stories. Uh, cause I, I, how many guys that we know of in wrestling, not guys who like Benoit committed a, horrible act and that was the end of them but guys who committed a murder or killed someone and then still had a career i mean scott hall is obviously one if Janetti did this billy jack well, Haynes claims he was involved in all sorts of shit well i was about to say but there was a story about billy jack actually spending time in prison 
early on, even before he got in wrestling, for getting in a fight with a guy and hitting him too hard, which is uh, why I was told he was always, uh, back in those days, very calm and polite and soft-spoken and didn't even squeeze your hand very hard when he shook your hand. But, you know, he was very, you know, laid back. But, um, I mean, there have been, uh, well, New Jack said he had a few justifiable homicides. I've never seen documentation of that. Now he denies it. Now he denies it. Now he denies it now. Yeah. Didn't he just say it on Dark Side of the Ring? I just saw an interview with him on Vlad TV where he said the opposite. That it was the boys who kind of started that rumor and sent it around. And he well, just did- I'll tell you who started that rumor with me. His fucking lips. <laughs> His lips started that rumor with me. All right. Anyway, um, I don't know. Uh, Bruiser Bedlam's transgressions occurred after he had quit wrestling. Uh, for the record, Bruiser Bredwell tried to blow up a police station. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole nother league. That's incredible. Well, but I mean, he was accused of, of being involved in murder. Also, I still believe he never actually killed anybody. He, he probably was around at the time things happened, but nevertheless, um, that's a good trivia question. Who else killed somebody? Do we want to, uh, do we want to count Sam Shepard? Um, oh, very good. Very good. We don't know whether we can count Doctor Sam yeah. or not. That's a true and one. and and your boy of of you know Lord Blears would probably have if we can't count war casualties, people in World War Two or Korea or whatever, no. or else uh, you know that would unless that it's would hand to hand. Oh come on! If it's hand to hand in war, I count that. But if you're sitting in a foxhole with a gun, that's a different story. Well, but what, but it's still, it's not, you're not a murderer if it's hand to hand in war. You're just lucky that you came out on top, uh, and skilled and good and things like that. But, but we can't count that as having actually, well, I guess then Scott Hall, his was in self-defense. So that would be the same thing. Hand to hand. Hand to hand. <laughs> All right. How did we get on this? Oh, Marty. Yeah, Marty. So Jeanette's crippled one wrestler with their rocker dropper and apparently killed at least one person, because again, that was just the first person he made disappear. Apparently, oh, well, that's right. He did say he did say that was the first. <laughs> now, the third time I met the Loch Ness monster, <laughs> I noticed <laughs> that that dead body floating down the Chattahoochee River was really eight stories tall and a lizard from the Protozoic era. <sighs> <clears throat> Maybe that's. Maybe Marty has been making all the wrestling fans disappear. That's where they've gone. He's been making people disappear for the past 25 years until now there's none of them's left. So anyway, we wish, uh, well, I, well, Donald Trump. I don't wish him well. <laughs> no, you no, no, no. I was about well. to say, we wish Marty well. Donald Trump wished the the, uh, the cohort of Epstein, uh, the con- the accused pedophiliac, uh, uh, well, so we, we wish Marty well in proving that if, if his, if his goal in life is to prove absolutely without a doubt that he's telling the truth that he murdered somebody and we wish him well in those efforts. If he is indeed telling the truth, we hope that he's able to convince everybody. Maybe this will become the new thing, the new trend, like wrestlers confessing the crimes. <laughs> well, <laughs> if they would just make, 
<laughs> bad wrestling and offenses to the wrestling industry, statutory crimes, then every Thursday morning you'd have confession to make the whole Catholic <laughs> church jealous. Oh God. All right. Yes, Marty, we wish we wish you well in your future murders. <laughs> you speak for yourself. You can't look at either either buck and not look at those faces and th- that Sammy Guevara has a slappable face that translates to the wrestling business. These two little middle schoolers are just slappable. And it just, anyway. Uh-oh. You know what that means? It's a toll-free call. Hold on. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> ah, well, we're on a program right now. So why are you people always calling me? Who is that? This is Babar from National Pen. What's National? I've, what's National Pen? The National Pen Company. As a, here's here's something else: the Cornets collectibles extras. I'm always trying to get keychains or pins or or the pocket knives. Those were good ones from a company called National Pen. That's where I would and I would send free things to people who spent a lot of money or ordered a number of things or I was late with their stuff or whatever, I'd throw free shit in. And they would send me these mailers and I would then fill out what I wanted and send it in and they would send me the stuff and I'd send them a check. Well, then they started calling me on the phone and wanting to talk to me on the phone. I don't talk to anybody on the phone. I don't have time, much less to order fucking free pens I'm going to give out. So I didn't call them back. Well, then I started sending in my orders off the cards they send me. And they wouldn't send me my shit. They apparently were going to hold me up for a fucking phone call. That's why nobody's been getting free shit lately, because I can't get any either. I pay for it and give it away for free, and I still can't get any. The last three orders I've sent in, they didn't send me my flashlight keychains. They didn't send me my pins. They didn't send me my shit, because I won't call them on the phone, and I won't talk to them on the phone. That's why you people out there are not getting your free stuff that I'm trying to pay for to give to you for free because the National Pen Company insists on calling me on the phone now instead of sending me my shit that I order through the mail. And I don't have time for this shit. And by the way, for anyone wondering, they're on Twitter, at National Pen. Yeah, tell him just send Cornette his shit because he ain't going to talk to you on a fucking phone. I've ordered thousands of dollars of stuff from them, have never stiffed them one time, always paid them, and turn around and give the shit away for free. Now they want me to hold me up for a fucking phone call with my schedule instead of just sending me my shit in the mail? Fuck them. Anyway. All right. So the next match. (laughs) Well, they shouldn't have got me in the middle of watching this thing. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. that Before the next match, Stone Cold Moxley was on the stairs somewhere. Ready for the reviews yet? Let's get another question. <laughs> well, I, you could have asked for a review, but now you've you've teased a question, so you can't take it back. All right. We can't ask this one. Hold on. Let's go to this one. <laughs> Wait, you're skipping now? Was it for quality or content? It's... Yeah. All right, skip it. Should I ask it? I don't know. I don't, I don't well, now, what, oh, how do you keep an idiot in suspense? I'll tell you tomorrow. You know, I once heard Andrew Dice Clay and Opie and Anthony, like in 2000, he, he was like, just rattling off jokes. And he goes, how do you keep an idiot in suspense? Say nothing. 
And like, no, you say nothing. You don't say the answer isn't say nothing. You <laughs> literally say nothing. Notes. He was reading off his notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll try this one. We'll see how this goes. This is sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Bruce Walmer in Springfield, Massachusetts. Hello, Jim and Brian. Thank you for the outstanding podcast. The walk that the walks, excuse me, the walks down memory lane and keeping the spirit of real professional wrestling alive. My question is, was it common knowledge that Hillbilly Jim was gay, or was it hush-hush? I met him at an AVN show in Las Vegas. He was standing behind the Falcon Films booth, the number one production company of high-quality gay porn. I asked him, why don't you wrestle anymore? And he pointed to the owner of Falcon Films and says, he doesn't want me wrestling. <laughs> Any comment or knowledge of this fact? <laughs> oh my let me just, God. Let me just add, Hillbilly Jim, a tremendously nice guy. Yes, Hillbilly Jim is one of the nicest and funniest and brightest and smartest guys. And apparently, he's also one of the premier ribbers in the fucking industry. I guarantee you, Hillbilly Jim is there to do the fucking Coliseum home video or whatever the fuck he was doing or whatever he's done with the uh, uh, goddamn the or just visiting the the if it was AVN, uh, he's just visiting or whatever, and he's standing there probably trying to figure out which porn star he's going to go look at next. And this guy fucking wanders up and asks him that question. He says, well, I'm working for him now. And he believed it. And to this day has carried it with him to the point where he had to fucking ask me. Holy fuck. I, I, Hillbilly Jim, if he asked him, he would say he's not gay. He's just friendly. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's ridiculous. <laughs> what, what are you saying is ridiculous? The fact that. Are you saying for... I'm saying the fact that Hillbilly Jim was probably there to look at fucking porn stars like everybody else unless he was doing some kind of home video thing at some adjoining non-pornography fucking video convention and he's just standing there and this guy asked him a fucking question and he's fucking with the guy and the guy believed it and to this day thinks Hillbilly Jim not only is gay, which he's not, but was a gay, gay porn star, which he was not. It's fucking ridiculous. That's the, I can, but I can see Hillbilly Jim fucking doing that because he is quick and he will give you a fucking answer with a straight face and make you believe anything. But, but goddamn, that that's stretching it. I know you know the creator of AVN, but I've never personally been to an adult video news convention. Do they typically have wrestlers there? I mean. Well, vivid video all of a sudden be like, we have Greg Valentine here today. <laughs> Come by the well, booth and meet Greg Valentine. Well, no, what, no, what I'm saying is, is that sometimes these adult video conventions are take place in, in Las Vegas along with, or in conjunction with, or at the same time of like the consumer electronics show and fucking other mainstream video conventions or different things. So it's not, and obviously if, if there's wrestlers in the same vicinity as there's porn stars, there's going to be some crossover, just people walking around fucking looking. So I don't necessarily think that Hillbilly Jim was booked at the porn convention. I can believe he was there. And I am dumbfounded that this guy believed the fucking 
bullshit rib answer that hillbilly jim gave him to his question that he was working for as he points to the fucking gay video booth that he was working for them now and to i just saw jim two or three years ago and and he had at that point not added gay porn star to his resume you ever seen on showtime i don't know if they still have them for a while they were airing late night You'd be going past the different movie channels like what is this it was the avn award show and they had like even like a red carpet. All the oh, I know. Stars. And it's great because they have like, like best three way and best anal sex scene and, you know, lifetime anal achievement award or whatever. And the golden throat. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fucking fantastic. It's, it's fascinating is what it is. I'm so happy. I want to, th- I can't believe this industry has taken me in to know that I've won best cock is just yeah. the greatest achievement of my life. Thank you all. I look forward to fucking more next week. But hey, you know what? It, it, porn stars <laughs> are the only honest and legitimate people where, when it comes to matters of the flesh. We die like to do what we like to do, and we don't care who we do it with as long as they want to do it with us. That's what that's their motto. Everybody matters should be like flesh. that. There'd, there'd be more happiness. <laughs> there'd be more flesh. Yes. <laughs> there would be more happiness. Is it, and like, oh, have you met my wife? She's also my co-star. Oh, have you met my husband? He's also my co-star. Oh, we'd like to co-star with you. Well, there you go. No bitter, hard feelings. You know, for a second, I, I was like, what the hell? What spot is he transitioning to? What sponsor is he going to dare go to from this? Luckily, you didn't. Let's get another question. Well, you know, I will say that if, you, oh, no. if you're into meat. <laughs> no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. All right, give me another question. One more question, and then we'll go on to meat and the the reviews and everything else. The main event of this journey through hysteria, the horribleness and awfulness will never be forgotten. We're going to try to concentrate on this and, and hit all the high points. But the main event on Chris Jericho's 30th anniversary after Lance Storm and Kevin Smith, and who is Eli Roth? He's a filmmaker. He, he was okay, also in uh, Inglorious Bastards. He was one of I the, didn't know uh, that. the bastards. Gabriel, Gabriel Iglesias, Chavo Guerrero, Steel Panther, who apparently are a metal cover band or something, Ultimo Dragon, and Paul Stanley all sent happy wishes to Jericho. And the main event on the television program celebrating Chris Jericho's 30th anniversary in wrestling, a man who was the WWF Unified Champion, a man who's internationally headlined, a man who's a man who's done a lot of things. He and old Jake, don't call me Sammy Hagar, had a tag team match with the team of Chaos Project, Serpentico and Uncle Fester. I'm sorry, Luther. Actually, Uncle Fester sounds like a bigger main event name than Luther. Chris Jericho's friend from 30 years ago from Canada, an outlaw mud show Japanese indie guy who hasn't even wrestled to my knowledge in the past 20 or 25 years, has been signed to AEW and this fat, bald-headed, pale, fishy white, flabby, 50-plus-year-old fuckwit is in the main event Standing next to a kid that might be a hundred and fucking twenty five pounds makes Brian Hildebrand, Dr. Mark Curtis himself, look like Lex Luger as his partner. He's wearing pajamas and he's playing a luchador. And by the way, old Serpentico 
hits the ropes just like Pockets does. Remember, we talked about that a week or two ago. I've never seen it. Now that I've seen this, I can't take my eyes off of it. He hits the fucking ropes completely flat of his back with his right arm over the top, and with his left hand, he grabs the middle rope. Every time, it's on purpose. It's not just an accident. I watched Pockets. He does it. I watched Serpentico. He does it, too. That's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Where are these people learning this shit? So anyway, this fucking bell rings for the main event on TNT Cable. With this Jericho and Hager, the top heels in the company, supposedly against these fucking guys. And I wrote, you have got to be shrooming. Uh, Jericho was in the whole first fucking segment. Hager never got in. He took bumps for the midget over and over. Then he tagged in Fester. They did some sloppy fighting and a botched spot. I wrote, in what world should these two fucking idiots be on television? I'm talking about Fester and and Serpico or uh, Satanico or whatever his fucking name is. I know they're old friends. I like John Fell in Baltimore, but I wouldn't book him to wrestle 10 minutes on national cable. Maybe Jeremy Bagley, he'd probably kick the shit out of half the guys in AEW. He's jacked up. What about Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi? I haven't seen him in action, but I don't know if he fucking is even available. He might not have time to come and do this. Point is, I got a lot of friends. I wouldn't book them to fucking wrestle in main events on national TV. And excrement at one point when Luther was in there said during, this is a quote. I wrote it down. During Luther's time in Japan, he would stand toe-to-toe with the late, great Hayabusa. That's like me saying, during my time in Connecticut, I would often get my hair cut by Stewie Cavendish. What the fuck? Who the f- Nobody knows who Hayabusa is or was. And that's not even to disrespect him, but he was an independent outlaw guy in Japan. It's not like during Luther's time in Japan, he'd stand toe-to-toe with the great Antonio Inoki. No. Fucking Hayabusa. All these fucking idiots know the only frame of reference they have is their own little independent outlaw mud show world. Then they went through another break. When they came back, the jobbers were still kicking Jericho's ass. Hager's nowhere to be seen. But then finally, Jericho takes a bump to the floor. Hager gets knocked off the apron of the floor. They both, on opposite sides of the ring, walk around the ring to join each other, put their arms around each other, looked up in the ring, and waited while Uncle Fester backdropped his midget over the top rope onto both of them. See Holland Ridge. Chris Jericho and and Sammy Hagar are out there risking blown knees and broken ankles and injuries to have a rotten match with two fucking schlub outlaw fucks. Serpentico looks like an athlete. He'd be a great flyweight or featherweight boxer at the 128 pound fucking category, but he doesn't need to be a professional wrestler. And Fester, did I mention is a joke. This looked worse than Make-A-Wish. Chris Jericho's old friend gets a job, gets signed despite not having done that line of work in over 20 years, 
and then for the first time ever gets to main event a match on national TV against his friend. All friends wrestling. They're risking injuries to do spots with these fucking morons. They're risking Tony, and Tony Khan will pay them if they get hurt. You know he will. So they don't care, except for the fact of being hurt. I wouldn't want that, but what the fuck? Then the entire group, everybody, baby faces, heels, all the ringside underlings stood there, and Fester climbed up to the top rope and didn't dive off of it. He just fell in a rolling way, and they all caught him and fell down. It's so sad. So I wrote, this is so sad. Then Fester gets Jericho back in the ring and gives him some kind of goddamn move that I don't know what the fuck it was supposed to be. And Jericho is trying to sell over to the ropes to get in position for the next move they're going to do. Fester realizes he's on the wrong side of the ring apron. He's got to go on the other side of the apron on the other side of the post. So he walks down to the post and like guys do, you grab the post with your right hand. You swing your left leg around. You grab the post with your left hand and then you swing your right leg around and you're back on the other side of the apron. He put his left foot around the ring post and fucking fell off the goddamn ring to the floor. And then jumped back up and almost killed Jericho with whatever move they'd been trying to set up because he was fucking rattled. Do you see that? Yep. Travis's thumbnail for this match should be a still photo of the actual match. It can't be parodied or caricatured any farther than it already was. So Jericho taking move after move from the, the, the aforementioned fat, bald, pale, 50 plus year old fucking former mud show fuck who apparently has been working as a truck driver. I don't fucking know. At the, by this point, who was so gassed up that he could barely stand up and he was trying to walk the top rope. He Fester was sucking so much wind. The first three rows had passed out from oxygen deprivation. You could see it on his face. If he hadn't already been as pale as the underside of a fucking big mouth bass, he would have turned white. He was translucent by this point. I've never seen somebody so blown up they couldn't do an eye rake. He he, he couldn't rake the fucking eyes. He just kind of put his palm up there and just washed it over fucking Jericho's face. Then he got Jericho's bat that was tossed in. He intercepted it, and Fester gave Jericho a weak gut shot. By the way, if you're noticing that I'm not talking about Jericho doing anything, there's a reason for that. He didn't do anything! Fester hits Jericho with a weak gut shot, and then, did you see, Brian, he hits the ropes and tries a big boot, and he got Jericho in the lower abdomen on the big boot. Jericho took a bump anyway. Luther went for the cover on his hands and knees and looked for all the world like he was down ready to puke on Chris Jericho. And finally, after what seemed like forever, Jericho hits the Judas effect and Fester crumples sloppily one, two, three. Is this a professional organization or is this, hey kids, let's put on a show embarrassed and then jericho the company's top heel that just got killed by a midget and a fat man 
and one by the skin of his teeth, accepted all the cheers and accolades and allocades and applaudings of the fans there and thanked everyone like a real baby face should. And then MJF comes out with Wardlow and a clown under a red sheet. I'm not talking about an idiot under a red sheet. I'm talking about an actual clown with clown feet, clown wig, and clown red nose, which the clown lost when Wardlow pulled the sheet off. And the nose went tumbling into the fucking ring. And he gave Jericho a gift, and it was a framed 24 by 36-inch portrait of MJF, which... Jericho then broke over the clown's head. The clown, who was somewhere around five feet two and a hundred pounds, not only didn't sell, but didn't register the portrait being bashed over its head. He just stood there and looked at Jericho, who then hit the clown with the stiffest fucking Judas effect that I've ever seen <laughs> and knocked the clown out. And then he and MJF instead of getting mad at each other, laughed and hugged each other. And all the heels on the roster came out to celebrate with Chris Jericho while his the, the credits on the show rolled and his name was on every credit, including him being all eight camera positions. It was like the closing of a Saturday Night Live sketch or a show where they... They ended a little bit early and all the cast members and guest stars had to mill around while the credits on the stage, while the credits were playing and the fucking band was playing something and they just awkwardly didn't know what to fucking do. This was the most rotten match. This was the most rotten show. This was the most amateurish effort on everybody's part. I honestly believe if I was a part of this company and was appeared in any way on this program I would have gotten a sick stomach afterwards and potentially thought about changing my line of work. It's not only embarrassing, it's shameful. Nobody has to have a show this bad. It's not necessary. Anybody could do better than this and have many times in the past. Not just a, a, an expert veteran like me. I've seen people book shows that had never booked shows before that were not as insulting and amateurish as this. Have I made myself clear? Abundantly clear, yes. What were your final thoughts on this masturbatory self-congratulation that Chris Jericho thought would be a great idea to show his 30 years in the business by getting beat up by Jackie Coogan? I thought it was an excellent match. I thought it was wonderful to finally see Jericho and Luther after all these years get in there. I thought that Serpentigo showed a world of talent. I think Hager each and every week is better and better. I thought the commentators did an excellent job of explaining what was happening here. I thought the segment with the clown couldn't have gone any better. The clown is down. It couldn't have gone any better. I think the buildup for this MJF Jericho feud just leaves everyone with wet panties. The heels are mad at each other. Since the baby faces are mad at each other, the heels got to be mad at each other too. Give them something to do. I'm a big fan of comedy. I love, you know, classic Saturday Night Live and SCTV. So the credits, what a brilliant move to end this amazing episode of Dynamite having Jericho all over those credits. 
Seven stars. Eight stars. Eight stars. All kidding aside, this was awful. And it just embodies a general awfulness that seeps into everything on AEW. They can never leave well enough alone. Even when it's something like the Cody match, Pockets has to come right out. Even when they have the best tag team in wrestling, they have to dumb them down by having them involved with dummies. As a booker, Tony Khan is a failed director of football for a film. I mean, this is just such a bad show. And I know there's a lot of people that like it. There's a lot of people that have low standards. What are they looking at? What? There are people what that have low standards. There are people that have no, low what, standards. What, what makes sense to them? What is what is good about the athleticism of these outlaw guys? No, that's not it. What is what that's is what it. makes sense? What, who's putting on a good performance on the microphone? What is in any way interesting about this fucking horseshit? Let's say you were born in 2000, Jim. Oh, good lord! But let's just say you were born in 2000 and you became a wrestling fan. I want to say 10 years old, 2010. So from 2010 to 2019, when AEW got on TV, all you've seen is whatever's out there. Raw, SmackDown, Impact, I guess to revive DCW. But you know what? No, at least anybody that's on WWE television, pretty much 99% of them look like athletes of some description. Even though every once in a while, one of them sneaks in on NXT that's emaciated. But how many flips do they do? But how many near falls do they have? Too many, but but they still look like athletes. Is their comedy written by writers or are they singer-songwriters? Hopefully there wouldn't be any comedy amongst the wrestling matches. That would be the managers and the fucking frivolous people around ringside. It's just, it's a, I, it's a bad show. And there are people... You're, try, you're trying to tell me that the only reason people watch AEW is because the rest of shit for the last 10 years has sucked so bad. But that... It, I don't think it's the only reason, but I think that's I a big seen, reason. I have not seen the WWE... I've seen the WWE put on plenty of bad shows lately. Crummy shows, insulting shit, like being thrown off the roof of the Titan Tower and whatever. But just on a constant barrage of embarrassment and half price talent and discount fucking wrestlers and midgets and freaks and people that have no business being exposed to a national television audience. They don't do that in the WWE. They do it every week on AEW and there's no reason for it, except that the guy in charge doesn't know the fucking difference. And, and the people he's listening to all want to give their fucking friends jobs. And we come down to that again. AEW presents silly, stupid shit, but treats the audience like they're in on the joke. WWE presents silly, stupid shit, but pretends like they're fooling the audience. That's part of the difference. Okay, here's an idea. How about one of them just don't do silly, stupid shit? And then see what the audience thinks. Hey, that was the promise of AEW early on. And I mean, I know we always bring that up and we shouldn't anymore because obviously that was just a bunch of caca talk. Yeah. I mean, well, it, was, Ring, it was Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is doing it. It's a shame that that uh, we had to wait for Ring of Honor to do what AEW promised a year ago. But they, they don't even have to go all the way that Ring of Honor has gone to doing a really legitimate program. They just get better talent. There's plenty available admit you've made a mistake and you got bad advice and you signed a bunch of people that weren't ready for television, pay them off and send them home. Tell them if they want to go to wrestling school, 
take a look at them later on. You don't wish that they drop over and die, just that they're not good enough to be on your program right now. You got uh, uh, not unlimited money. Nobody has unlimited money, but you have plenty of money, more more than the rest of the field, to compete to get any talent that you want to get. Get some new talent. Get somebody to write the show that knows what they're fucking doing instead of doing this because they used to jack off in their fucking room at night writing cards down. I wrote cards down in my room, but I wasn't jacking off at the same time. I had different material to peruse while I did that. Get people that know what they're doing and talent that can perform it and then put on a program that is is suitable and not embarrassing to the wrestling business and is suitable for a national cable network. And then you might get more than 850 or 900,000 fucking people watching because that's goddamn embarrassing. It's goddamn embarrassing that we've got to the point where the highest rated wrestling program in the world gets less than 2 million people. And these two on Wednesday nights are fighting over 750,000. It's fucking embarrassing. Would you like the ratings? Sure, go ahead. Now, let me remind you, the vice presidential debate was last night. I believe it did in excess of 50 million viewers. Well, you and I were watching that, the important stuff. Yeah, no, I DVR'd both of these shows and watched them in the morning to ruin my morning. Uh, Here are the ratings. NXT, 639,000. AEW, 753,000. There you go. It's the same fucking thing. When they've got competition, they each lose 100,000. When they don't have any competition, they each gain 100, 150,000. And it is what it is. Because the only people that are going to watch shit that looks like this are people that, for whatever reason, like shit that looks like this. I believe we have made this abundantly clear. And I've got to go wash my mouth out to take the taste of that fester match festering in my gums out of it. So do you have any final words for the audience? It's just, it's a sad state of American wrestling right now. You have one promotion, which is an old man who took over his dad's promotion, took over his dad's territory. And the other promotion is a kid whose father bought him a territory. (laughs) Uh, It is, isn't it ironic? This one was sent on Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through from... Good brother Oos underscore Sapgood. Okay, is is so is Sapgood his his last name? I'm not exactly is, sure, but he's a big fan of the show. I know that. Is Oos his Christian name? I think it's Oos. U C E. Is that how you would pronounce it? As as far as I see, Oosie. It could be Usi. That's what I was thinking. It could be Usi. Well, here's good brother Usi. Maybe he just he he mistyped and it's it's Lucy and we're talking about a a lady. I don't think it's that, but here's his question. He sent in something. He said he would like to know your thoughts about the last chapter in Sabu's autobiography. Have you seen this? I I have not, unfortunately. I've missed that. Now, before we get going with this, what is your relationship with Sabu if you have one at all? Um, well, I know Sabu. Um, we've been around uh, each other on a limited basis, but over the years, a number of times, the last time I saw him was probably three or four years ago at, at WrestleCade over in Winston-Salem. Um, he was set up there and it had a booth and, and we had a short conversation there, but I know that Sabu is the Sheik's nephew and has 
been involved in some controversial incidents over the past, but I don't have deep insight into into what makes Sabu tick, if that's the question you're asking. I will say this again. I've said it before. One of my favorite Twitter interactions ever was a few years back. He put something on Twitter that was something that could be read as derogatory towards you. Naturally, you saw this and you replied, paraphrasing here, but hey, Sabu, I didn't know we had a problem. If That's we right. Do, okay, well, wait a minute. Now you're reminding me of something. I just remember this. Go ahead. <laughs> he said, I didn't know we had a problem. If we do, let me know. And he replied, <laughs> Sabu, Sabu, Sabu. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what. See, that's the thing. I, I will. It... In the interest of full disclosure, over the past 10 years, he's emailed me a couple of times. And I'm bad with phone calls. I'm bad with emails, too. And I don't answer a lot of them because I get so many of them that I've timed I blah, blah, blah. But I try to go through and read, and I saw an email from Sabu, Sabu, and it was, I can't even remember what the email said, but it was like a, a very long sentence with no punctuation about something I wasn't really sure how it pertained to me to begin with, and then he, he signed it, Sabu, 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 Sabu. And, and he every time he sends an email, he signs like Sabu, Sabu, Sabu. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on. What, but what about his, his book here? I, I don't know what happened. Well, here is the final chapter entitled F.U. Shoutouts. <laughs> okay. Now, to all the insecure, jealous, backstabbing, cocksucking, cheap, no-selling assholes I have come across, <laughs> I'd like to close with some special fuck you shoutouts that I crafted just for you, a la Sabu Twitter style, complete with extra comments, for extra emphasis, three commas after that. To Kurt Angle, because I may have to wrestle you again one day, I won't hit you with a stiff fuck you, but maybe something just a little underneath that and more professional. You know, like, you, sir, I could do without. <laughs> to test, I would like to send a really big fuck you shout out beyond Wait the grave. He's, he's dead. Well... I would like to send a really big fuck you shout out beyond the grave to a bastard who no sold like an asshole and always tattled like a baby. Okay. Did he have a reputation for running to the office? Well, not that I'm aware. Probably if, if, if Sabu wanted him to fucking hold onto a chair while he moonsaulted off the balcony onto <laughs> its face, I can see Tess may have gone to the, I don't know what the incident is that's being referred to here, but I, you know, um, I can see where Test and Sabu would be opposite personalities. Uh, Test was, Test was not one of these guys that instantly adapted to the wrestling business mentally and Sabu with his uncle and grew up around it his whole life and blah, blah, blah. But I can also see where if, if there was a clash of styles, it, it, the chances are Sabu was the one that was wanting to do the, uh, the shit that Test wasn't really wanting to do. And I don't blame him. To Koji Kanemoto and his no-selling bullshit? <laughs> Fuck you and your no-selling bullshit. To Jim Ross, I say fuck you for treating the Sheik like trash and ripping him off. You still owe him money, you <laughs> cocksucker. <laughs> wait, wait. Feel free to PayPal me the $150,000 or whatever it is at your earliest convenience, prick. <laughs> That can't be from 88 no, NWA, we, can we, it? We talked about this on the show maybe a year or two ago. That he still, 
150 grand that he owes the Sheik. And Jim Ross went and poor. All right. Should we tell the whole thing again? Uh, are you thinking that, though, that it's 88 NWA that he's talking about here? Well, yes, because Jim Ross never had any other interaction with the Sheik, the original Sheik. And the if, if, if another time when Sabu was talking about it, he mentioned Detroit, which is why we were commenting on it to begin with a few years ago. But yeah, there, there's no if, to, for the record, Jim Ross does not owe the Sheik one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Not even the Iron Sheik, the actual the Sheik, Sabu's uncle, uh, the wild man from Syria. It, it somehow it was just like when Doug Gilbert was mad at me and I had to tell him off and encourage him never to fucking speak to me again because he got mad because I wrote the foreword to Howard Brody's book <laughs> in which right. Howard Brody said shit that Doug for some reason didn't like. And and was cussing me on the internet about it. I just say, you fucking idiot. Have you ever read a book before? Do you know how they work? You know, to, just because you have two famous, great, talented family members, and you're the fucking redheaded stepchild, doesn't mean you can motherfuck me on the internet for writing a forward to somebody else's book, and you don't know how that works. In this case, the Sheik was booked to work the Kobo Arena in Detroit for Jim Crockett Promotions in 1988, um, they had drawn one house in Detroit when Garvin beat Flair for the title at the Joe Lewis Arena in what previous September of 87, and then business in Detroit had just been the shits. And it, it was not a... The town wasn't doing anything. So at the time, Kevin Sullivan, I believe, is one to pitch to Dusty because Kevin had a relationship with the Sheik. Hey, uh, what was the first match? They did a two-month program. The first match was Dusty and Murdoch against the Sheik and Sullivan, right? And then they did a deal in that match where Murdoch switched heel on him. And they were going to come back the following month with a just reversing the partners or whatever, but it, it, didn't, it didn't come to that. It never came off the second month because... Point is, it was the Great American Bash on tour, I believe. It was the summertime of 88. Kobo Arena in Detroit. The Sheik, uh, with major local television promotion from Crockett's local TV, and big names on the card, a full card. For the first time, the Sheik is going to be back in the Kobo in a, in a strong position like that, with major names on a card in almost 10 years. And it did $100,000 at the gate. It did, you know, 80-something hundred people at the ticket prices of the time. And so they immediately, as I said, you know, book Sheik in the rematch and the blah, blah, blah. But then the Sheik got mad because when they paid him, I don't know how much the payoff was. I assume it was fairly generous because let's, everybody knew that the reason why that the people came was to see the Sheik back at the Kobo in that light because we've been, running a lot of shows and not drawing there. But the Sheik thought that because he was the Sheik, he should still get 10% of the house, which they weren't even doing that for the NWA champion at that point in time. Flair wasn't getting 10% of the house. He wanted $10,000 for the one night when the match lasted like six minutes, right? So he no-showed the next month because they didn't give him 10% of the house. I heard this story 
concurrently at the time from not only from Kevin, but from, from Dusty and everybody else, because we had actually started to do promos where the Sheik was coming back and I'd seen the booking book at, at local promos. And then they changed it. And, you know, so anyway, that's, that issue was known at that time. That's why the Sheik didn't come back the next month. And that's where the issue lay. Sabu somehow thinks because Jim Ross was the announcer and I think he had started selling advertising for Crockett maybe at that point or trying to selling TV advertising that somehow Jim Ross was the one who should have paid the Sheik the money. And now it's graduated to instead of 10 grand, he owes him $150,000, which was more than the fucking house drew. (laughs) And there is no other time when Jim Ross would have had any dealings with the original Sheik. Sheik never worked in WWE or WWF when JR was there in any position. And JR would not owe the money. If that was the case to begin with, it would be Vince McMahon because even when JR was head of talent relations, you think he had the fucking checkbook and and tell Vince, Oh Vince, I'm going to go ahead and give uh Sheik 150 grand. Cause Sabu's pissed. What? That's lunacy. Jim Ross has never been in a position to, to actually be the one to sign the Sheik's check anywhere. And nobody owes the Sheik $150,000. That's crazy. But otherwise than that, to Ric Flair and to, even though I may need him one day, Johnny the dickhead ace, <laughs> fuck you both for your political bullshit. I would also like to add Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, and Michael Hayes to this list, too. Just because you all really suck. You know what? Now, everybody's out there saying, well, Cornette's the king of bridge burning. But, you know, hey, look at that lineup there. That that there may be a, some reason why Sabu was not booked steadily in the last 20 years. To Vince McMahon. Oh, I'm sorry. We left Vince out. Believe it or not, I won't say fuck you to you. Oh. Vince, because you never really said anything to my face that was actually not somewhat professional. You have done a lot for the business that I love and given a lot of my friends work. So for all of this, I do have respect for you. I will say this, though. You always shook my hand like a short bus meathead, almost pulling my shoulder right out of the socket. (laughs) What the and finally, to the rest of you out there wait, who have wait, done wait, me wait, wrong. Wait a minute, 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 hold on. <laughs> For one thing, that's kind of, that's a little shady comment, the short bus meathead, which we all know, we had a phrase down south, which I, I, I will say this in, with the caveat that I encourage people not to say this anymore because it is, it is rude and it makes fun of kids that can't, you know, defend themselves or whatever, but retard strength is what he's talking about. It's what they used to call it when I was a kid in school and down South. And Vince does not do this, the bullshit wrestling handshake. He does a fucking handshake. And it's one of those, I like to show you that I'm a alpha male type of guy handshakes, but he's not going to rip anybody's arm out with it. It, it, Shake hands with Billy Gunn sometime. I encourage Sabu to shake hands with Billy Gunn and see what you draw back. It might be a shriveled fucking broken lump. Um, He's got a firm handshake, and he's still not going to jerk anybody's shoulder out. But unfortunately, 
Sabu came from the 90s era of guys in the locker rooms where that fucking little two thumb and middle finger handshake, the limp dish rag, the fucking, hey, I'm smart, I'm with it. That type of handshake went around amongst the boys, and all of a sudden, it was like shaking hands with a goddamn bunch of butterflies. And you're afraid, what the fuck's going on here? It was so stupid. Because it the same thing as the whole handshake business anyway. As as it was taken by a modern generation who didn't understand it and twisted to serve their own purposes. I've said this a million times, I'll say it again. You did not in the territory days walk in the building if you were the referee or the head of the ring crew or the guy selling t-shirts and immediately shake hands with everybody up to and including the owner of the fucking company and the booker if they were over in a corner having a meeting and you walked up and in, and fucking interrupted that just to let them know that you were in the building, you wouldn't be in the building long. But now everybody's got to shake everybody's hand or goddamn, that's the same thing as fucking committing sedition and treason. If you miss a hand. It's the same thing with the fucking goofy working handshake. It used to be the guys shook hands in a semi-normal fashion, a little bit light, because that was the deal. And some guys took it a little further than you know the old handsome Jimmy thing. He he put out t- his two forefingers in his thumb, right? Hey, brother, because that fit his gimmick. But most of the time, the guys shook hands slightly light. But just to get the picture across, the whole origination of that was guys who were smart to the business, who were workers, when you met people, if you shook hands with them and they shook hands stiff, then they weren't smart to the business. But it was a communication between people who were smart back in those days where they would do the light handshake and give the little office Iggy, squeeze, squeeze. And you'd know you were dealing with one of the boys. It was a kayfabe thing. Well, then somehow they started reading about this on the internet when that became a thing and decided that everybody was going to slip you a hand like it was a goddamn limp dick after an orgy. And you were getting splooge on your fucking palms. And that got ridiculous. And then some of the guys started going the other direction, fed up with this ridiculous fictitious ghost handshake and started trying to crank on people. But Vince has a very firm handshake and that's the way he likes it back. I suggest giving it to him. And finally, to the rest of you out there that done me wrong (laughs) and to all you trolls on the internet, F you. And that is the, apparently the closing chapter of Sabu's autobiography. A pithy read. That's right. Cause for some reflection in there. Once the underlying meaning, does it does it encourage modern society to continue in the way it has, or does it does it encourage you to reflect and possibly change the pattern of society? This is a deep read, one that will be talked about and critiqued for many years in various universities and colleges of higher learning. I did want to read another email real quick. Um. And this was uh, from, I have printed some out. We've, I've actually been able to read some. But this is from Jay in Nowhere, Indiana. 
And uh, he wrote, Dear Jim and Brian, my cousin and I are five years apart. He, being the older one, has always had my back whenever I needed him, and he's always protected me. Whether I was right or wrong didn't matter. He protected me first and corrected me later. Kevin, my cousin, was in a motorcycle accident on September 19th of last year. He's been a shell of himself since. Nothing but hospitals and rehabs, and there's nothing more that us, the doctor, or the flying spaghetti monster in the sky can do. We decided that hospice was best for him. We're currently waiting for the process to end. This is the hardest week of my life, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my cold black heart for the laughs provided by you two. I don't know my life without him in it, but this is best. Jeff Hardy was always his favorite. We've been watching wrestling together since the 90s, and I'll never forget my ultimate protector. I love you, Kevin. From Jay in Nowhere, Indiana. And... I just wanted to read that because I thought that Jay would like to hear it on the air. And obviously we wish the best and we send him our thoughts, no prayers, sympathy, um, and just, and energy. How's that? And, and one more, one more. What? Go ahead. Where's nowhere, Indiana. That's a real place. It's early in the day, and it's Saturday. Your mind is elsewhere. No, it's not a real place, Brian. Actually, it's a number of real places in Indiana. Nowhere. It's all over the state. I've been to a bunch of them. Oh, the way you said it, it sounded like it was, you know, sometimes in places, Intercourse, Pennsylvania, there are weird yeah, names of towns. Yeah, you got to go And there. where would a place named Nowhere be better fit than Indiana? It made sense. It- 20 miles down the road from Erie, Indiana. See? Um, Anyway, there's another email real quick. I'm just going to paraphrase this one. There's some personal things that he mentioned in it. Not about me, about himself. But, Sean, you know who you are. You've had a bad time the last couple of years. And uh, now you're trying to be more positive and change your mindset. And a big pick-me-up would be able to hear a happy birthday for Thursday, May 27th. Well, we blew right past that, didn't we, Sean? (laughs) So hopefully you didn't get pissed off at us for it, but I've just seen this. So happy birthday, uh, and fuck you. He asked for that also. So happy birthday, Sean, and fuck you, Sean, for May 27th. Consider this a retroactive uh, happy birthday and fuck you. And and keep keep positive. What are you snickering at again now? Keep fucking. Keep fucking. (laughs) (laughs) Was that? Who did the fucking routine? Was it? It was Eddie Murphy that did the routine of of Norton fucking Cramden. (laughs) And Cramden telling, Norton, I want you to fuck me in the ass. I'm going to bend over this table. And when I count to three, start fucking. No, 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 oh, Ralphie boy, no. Anyway, uh, who says I can't do impressions? (laughs) Come on. You know what I'm going to be doing next? Hold on. I've lost my notes. Ah. You know what I'm going to be doing now? You you don't know much about the... Well, you may know about the concept, but you know little about this, my involvement in this. Have you heard about the NFTs? Oh, of course. They're the big thing right now. 
Oh, of course. Well, you, well, of course, you're best friends with Microsoft. I You've know been in office. office. Yeah. <laughs> so you naturally know about an NFT. Would you explain to me what the fuck they are? Because I've had people try, and I'm going to have some of me, and I don't even know what the fuck it is yet. That's the complicated part. I know what it is. I have a general idea of the principle, and I have no idea of how to explain it. NFT is a digital token, and there's a blockchain so that someone purchases the digital token and this, let's be frank, this meaningless thing is owned by someone. Now, wait a minute. And they now own this meme or song. It really could be anything. It could be anything digital. Well, that's right. Well, just how you bandy around the word meaningless. It's not meaningless if I'm involved. Oh, it no, if you're involved, that, that elevates things to a Yeah, that, that brings level. things right. That gets them high again, doesn't it? Elevates them right up. No, it could be some jack-off with some piece of frivolous nonsense, but if you're giving people a collectible product, that's different. I have no idea what the fuck these things are, except they exist on the interwebs. And they are traded and they are collectible. Well, if anything, I'm a collector. So if anything's collectible, then I want to know about it. And I'm talking to some gentlemen right now. I, I And I even use that term respectfully. They are gentlemen. They use their left and right turn indicator and use proper English. And we're working something out where there's going to be a budget, different varieties of these depending on the collectible level and different amounts of these things but the real crux of the matter uh the big time jim Cornette nfts are going to come with one of a kind personal ring worn stuff rare merchandise of of jim Cornette himself autographed etc we're putting a whole package together anyway we may next week or two we may have some news about that but nfts I'm going to, this is going to be the first time that I've ever had a collectible of myself or anything else that I couldn't actually put on my shelf because it's going to be on the interweb. But you can still, I guess uh, maybe they're, holy shit. I just hope that they're not produced by Microsoft Office. I guess the next thing would be Cornet Cryptocurrency. Well, I've had some cryptic currency in the past. It now was, that you're getting involved with blockchain technology, we can get involved I, with corny coin, and we can start selling those to people. Well, wait a minute. A digital token that pays for nothing, but it could potentially one day be worth something and tradable to someone for something. But in the meantime, let's start uh, mining these things. Well, do it, but no, wait a minute. Corny coin? Yeah. When I was a kid, when I was a little a little toddler, a little toddler here in Louisville, Kentucky, the big toy store in town was Thornberry's Toys. It was down on Shelbyville Road, way down in St. Matthews, and that was a big occasion. If you did something, if it was a special time of year, like the holidays, or if you did something good or got a good report card or whatever, that when you got picked up after school, Brian, you got to go to Thornberry's Toys. And pick you out a toy. And you could actually, this was before they had things like shopping malls and things. This was back in the dark ages. It was a whole big toy store just standing there right on the side of the road all by itself. And they had thorny bucks. 
And the thorny bucks, whenever you bought something, then you got a certain amount of thorny bucks. And they had different pictures of all the different thornberries. One guy had a fucking old Captain Thornberry had a fire department outfit on and the other fucking little thorny. I think they had a picture of their dog on like the dollar, whatever the fuck. And I probably still got some of those around the house here. Anyway. You get these thorny bucks and you could go in and you could save them up and they were like trading stamps. You could go in later on and and buy something with a certain amount of thorny bucks. So I'm thinking the same thing. What if we had corny coin? And when I get the new website, jimcornet.com, all finished and put the store back up, Cornet's Collectibles, you could use your corny coins that you had previously gotten to turn in for merchandise. There may be an idea here. Yes, but we would really need to monitor this because if we're going to do it as a cryptocurrency, then obviously the value of the corny coin itself would fluctuate and go up and down. So you can't have a corny coin's value drop and it's still redeemable for a restraining order, for instance. Well, no, my shit never goes down. See, this that would be the rule with the corny coins. They only go up. What we could do is we could print up like ten thousand dollars in corny coins no that's not how it works and then and then we could send them out to people and then they would turn around and buy stuff off my website with those corny coins but you so just i'd be selling all that product and then then when when i sold out then we could print up more corny coin and we could send it out to more people, and then they would have to use it on my website only, and they would send that corny coin back to me for a shit ton more merchandise. Are you just sending them this corny coin for no reason? Are they actually buying it, or are you just... Well, I'm sending it Because it sounds like them. you're blowing through your inventory and not making no, any profit. I'm, I'm sending it to them so that they'll buy <laughs> stuff off my website. But, but, they're not pay- but if they're not paying for it... And you're well, just- yes, they are. They're paying... <laughs> They're paying, paying for it <laughs> with the corny <laughs> Don't you see? Don't you see, Matthew? It's it just pieces that if we send out all the corny coins and they can't spend them anywhere else because they're worthless anywhere else but Cornet's collectibles, they'll have to send them back to me and buy more stuff. But if you're just sending them to people, <laughs> you just and they're just redeeming them and buying stuff. You're not actually making any money because well, you're just sending the money out to people. <laughs> oh, that, well, oh my God. Shit. <laughs> there's, there's a loophole there available. When do we start making money with that plan? I think we should probably uh, continue this conversation off Wait, air no, at a later you're, time. You're my goddamn financial consultant yes. here. How do we make money with that plan? With what plan? With your plan? The plan that, that you just get the idea you just gave There's me. There's another way that to I do was it. Reciting to you and then you and then suddenly we realize that your idea would bankrupt me. No, my idea was to create and it wasn't even let's do it, but now it's become let's do it. My idea was Let's do it. Let's create an actual usable token, a cryptocurrency in the name of Jim Cornette. And with you, it became great. Let's send gift certificates to everyone. And it's a completely different thing. This is as if you actually had dollar bills, although they're not physical, they're just mental and on the computer. And then you can redeem them for things based on their value on that particular day. 
like I said, maybe this is an off-air conversation. Well, you I don't know if I want to. I don't know now. if I want to have you talk more economics I'm, on the air. I'm not sure I know how that's that whole thing works. Anyway, huh. <laughs> <laughs> let's get our first question. Let's see what we have to talk about here today, Jim. This was sent to Corny Drive Through at gmail.com. From Chaz in a town in South Africa. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this. <laughs> no way to spell it. G-Q-E-B. Now it gets easy. E-R-H-A. Oh, it gets easy after that. All right. Well, from, from Gahuba. Here's his question. I'm an avid listener of the show for the last two years. And I'd like to say thank you for all the insight and laughs during the dumpster fire that was 2020 and 2021. Especially for us here in Gabertha, South Africa. <laughs> I'd love to hear you and Jim. Don't pronounce it correctly. Pronounce the man's hometown correctly. I'd love to hear you and Jim attempt saying my city's name. <laughs> my question relates to recent comments made by Chris Jericho in an interview. And I'd like to hear your thoughts. Here's Chris Jericho comparing himself to The Undertaker. Oh, boy. Not that there's any comparison, but I think I'm taking on, like, The Undertaker role in the WWE for his last few years there, where every time he does something, it's impactful. It means something. He's a benefit to have in the locker room. He's a leader. He's very experienced. He can tell guys and girls what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. And it's just a good person to have around your roster. So, Jim, what are your thoughts on Chris oh, Jericho? Jesus Christ! So, very, he says, not that there's any comparison, but I'll compare myself anyway. And then he says all good, true things about The Undertaker, but by inference, would that be the proper term? Inference? Hold on, let me just... I think so. Let me look that up. Let me look that up. Hold on one second. Indisposed, indulge, inextinguishable, initiate. Wait a minute. F-G-H-I. I've, I've gone too far. Hold on. Infiltrate, infidelity, infidel, infest. All those people that are always saying, I could listen to Jim Cornette read a dictionary. <laughs> well, here you go. Here you go, ladies and gentlemen. Infer, to conclude from evidence... To lead to, as a result or conclusion, inference, the act or process of inferring. And basically, inference is the activity performed by a reader or interpreter in deriving conclusions that are not explicit in what is said. One way or another, he's comparing himself to The Undertaker. He then says a bunch of nice things about The Undertaker that ipso fatso can be... <laughs> Can be applied to him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna remember that one. It can be applied <laughs> to as well. I think he's not, at the very least, showing a wide variety of humbleness and lovableness. He's not a humble and lovable shoeshine boy. He just said that, yeah, he's a... No, I got news for you. I have seen about 25 things, pretty easily 25 things 
that happened on AEW television that if The Undertaker had been in the locker room, he would have shut that shit down. And Jericho just stood by and let the parade go past. Ipso fatso, I don't compare Chris Jericho to The Undertaker. Well, first of all, you raise an important question. We've seen GFY and The Influencer. Do you think Jericho's going to go after Ipso fatso next? <laughs> May have to get Stephen P. Saying, New. But again, how, how egregiously fucking egotistical can you be to uh, he did the obligatory no no there's no comparison then made all the comparisons that he thinks he's in that position that the undertaker genuinely truthfully was in as this uh, authority figure that will fucking keep everybody straight and obviously he ain't doing that job because nobody's keeping any of that shit straight so but it's nice that he considers himself in that same same genre. Yeah, that he thinks the things that he's doing are impactful. Yes. <laughs> the problem is he wants to give people advice. As much as anyone actually wants to get his advice, he wants to give the advice. And you know, and and again, a couple of years ago, we said at least there's one guy there that's that's had experience at a major league level that's done big time television that has worked for a major company for so long, he can help these guys. He can break them of these bad habits. He can fucking try to teach them what the wrestling business is and not what they think it is with the fucking stunt show and the bullshit. And within six months, he's out on a football field with the kids. It's like a, the Uncle Dave principle. He he doesn't have any principles and and whether they take his advice or not, he could give it in a legitimate way and try to teach him like Jr. did until they made fun of him and he just quit. Um, but instead, he's hello, fellow kids. I'm one of the cool kids. Look at me. I'm young because <laughs> I'm out here fucking around on a football field. So he it's not that he made them more professional, they made him less professional, and he went along with it. Just to be considered one of the fucking trendsetters, the influencer. GFY. He was trying to hang on to them, not the other way around. Oh, clinging for dear life. Clinched like grim death. Jim, well, our next question, we had a few people send this in this morning. Apparently Seth Rollins... Trying to see what exactly this is. Seth Rollins issued an apology for a fan interaction gone wrong. Uh-oh. Have you heard anything about this? I, I don't know how to, what, who was the first, who threw the first blow if the fan interaction went wrong? Well, here is a note posted by Seth Rollins on his Instagram page. Hello, fine folks. I love interacting with my fans. You guys are the best. Your continued support of me and the Black and Brave Wrestling Enterprise is what keeps our collective heart beating strong. What is that? What's the Black and Brave? I think he has a wrestling school, apparently, okay. in Iowa. He's from Iowa, right? Is it Iowa? I think so. I think so. It's in the Midwest out there. Somewhere near the surf ballroom in Clear Lake. Today... A couple of young cats saw my wife and me training in the back wait, of Wait, wait, what? Back up. Wait, what? I'm reading it verbatim. 
Let me go back to what Seth Scat Rollins has to say here. Scat, Scat Man Rollins. Today, a couple of young cats saw my wife. <laughs> I can't even say it now. <laughs> a couple of young cats came in and skidded bebop. Hey, Daddy O. Hey, Daddy O. 23 Skidoo. Today, a couple of young cats. All you cats and kittens out there. <laughs> He's going to be a DJ today playing mountains of sounds and stacks of wax all designed with you in mind. Here's one's guaranteed to blow your mind from 1962, that golden year. Today, a couple of young cats saw my wife and me training in the back of the brick and mortar and stopped by to say hello. In, in the back of the brick and mortar. So he's now he's working for, for rockauto.com's uh, uh, competitors? Unfortunately... I was right in the middle of a long workout. That's long with several O's in the middle of it. I was very harsh and abrupt in my candor. <clears throat> for that, I apologize. There's no excuse for that. If either you folks who I was short with today are reading this, please come back another time. I'd love to apologize in person. That open invite is all-inclusive, too. Feel free to pop by the school. If I happen to be here, please just be conscious of what's going on around you. Wait a minute, he's encouraging pop-ins? Don't be deterred I'm... if I'm teaching a class or deep in the sweat game. <laughs> it, may, it may take a few minutes, but I promise I'm down to take a pic or have a quick chat. In closing, thank you again to all of you who have had our backs over the years. Here's to many more. Our door is always open during what business the- hours so come on by who did he piss off the chairman of the local welcome wagon the mayor <laughs> the, the mayor came in he's like fuck you mayor of linseed um okay so i gather from this that he's working out and a couple of fans came up to him and he blew him off and told him to fuck off but here's the thing why is he apologizing to the world on twitter for an incident that nobody would have known about had it not been for him telling him about it. None of what we've been sent has anything before this, but we don't know what happened before this. If fans did go on Twitter and say, hey, this guy went up to him and his wife and he's a dick. We don't know what they said. Well, at least that's better than her being a dick. (laughs) Somebody's got to have the dick in the family. Did you ever see Heavy Metal Parking Lot? The Jeff Krulik film? I did not. Oh, you have to see it. It's a brilliant 20-minute look at society. And in it, it's it again. It's, it, society doesn't take longer than 20 minutes to look at these days. I'll agree with you there. I believe it's 1986, and they interview the people in the parking lot of the Judas Priest concert. And one of the guys just goes, And Madonna, she's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that line has always stayed with me. But anyway, we're back to uh, Seth Rollins and his wife. We don't know well, what happened. But, well, we don't know what happened, but it was nice of him to tell those two cats. To come over and groove with him and uh, and his wife uh, when they're not in the sweat game and they're just idly chilling and Netflixing or whatever the kids say these days. Uh, Seth is not, a, he's not a, a rude person, but anybody, you know, if you're having a workout or you're mad in the airport and somebody comes up, hey, can you fucking tell me your entire life story? Fuck you. No, I can't. I'm busy. Fuck off. See, and that's what I'm thinking too. And I think there's nothing wrong with saying to people, hey, respect my boundaries. I'm doing something. Mind your own fucking business. Do you think he reacted differently because it is his shop, his brick and mortar? Brick and mortar. Brick, brick and, and mortar. 
<laughs> Brick and yeah, Morton. Ricky Morton and Brick and Morton. They were a great tag team. Brickhouse Brown and Ricky Morton. Brick and Morton. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the inter- interaction was, so I can't speculate. All he's, he's a nice guy. Wouldn't usually be rude to his fans in my experience. I haven't seen him in a number of years, but at the same time, people can be, you know, rude when they come up to you when you're doing something, when you're eating or when you're working out and they want, okay, can you sign these seven pictures or can you, I, I'm going to call my brother-in-law. Could you just talk to him on the phone for a minute? Sometimes do people hit you with that a lot? Oh yeah, at, at, at comic cons, but when I'm in a booth and I'm right there, hey, if I call so and so, will you talk to him? Actually, I've done it when uh, when there's not a line. You know, yeah, I call him up, I'll cuss him out or whatever you. I think that's how I, I may have called Santino Morello one time. One of the fans said, "Hey, I got Santino Morello's number. I'll call him up." I didn't know whether it's him or not. He says he to this day swears that I called him and cussed him out and laughed at him for having surgery. I may have, but it, the point is you'll get that sometimes. And in a lot of cases, you don't have time. You're not in a good mood or the way that it comes off is a little, you know, same way people sometimes kids will, you know, will send you a letter and, and enclose a self-addressed stamped envelope, and it's a nice handwritten little note. Can you sign my trading card? Okay. You know, I'm, I'm not going to fucking, oh, kid, you can go to my website. But then you get people that send you a Xerox copy of a typewritten letter, and they enclose seven eight by tens for you to sign for their collection, and you go, fuck it, thank you for the seven eight by tens, motherfucker and you throw the letter in the return envelope away because you know what you're getting. So you never know. I don't know what the interaction was, but it, the point is somebody must have complained somewhere in public or elsewise he wouldn't have told the entire world that he was rude to two dipshits at his wrestling school. What was the question? I don't think we had a question. We well, didn't, we didn't I've get to a question yet. Yes, okay. Who's running this show? I thought I was, but then you just well, questioned it. Well, keep running it then. Jim, before we get to any of the drama, I keep saying that because I'm trying to avoid all the drama. Did you see any of the drama-driven reviews (laughs) that have been left for Mindy's Bakery in Chicago? Of course, notorious or famous, I guess they didn't do anything wrong, famous for their involvement (laughs) in the CM Punk incident. They did nothing wrong but baking some tasty muffins. Tasty muffins for the whole family, whether you, it's, it's you or it's your wife or it's your werewolf dog, Larry Talbot. They make fine, fine, tasty baked goods. Now, there are various reviews here. Now, some of them are obviously from CM Punk fans. Some of them are clearly from Young Bucks fans. I'll read you some of them. Get your thoughts on them. You like a good insult. I, well, I do, and you know, and here's the thing, the folks and at a good muffin. Bakery, and a good muffin, a good tasty muffin, they've <laughs> never got this much publicity before. I'm thinking that hopefully they're up on things, or elsewise they'll wonder about some of these comments. But yes, these are comments being left on the website, or on the Facebook, or what is it, of Mindy's Bakery? Uh, this appears, I actually don't know where the hell these are from. They may be from Yelp or something, but let's go through some of these. I would punch a guy for one of their muffins. (laughs) 
The worst MMA fighter of all time recommended this place, and to my delight, it was great. Mindy's oh. Bakery is truly best in the world. Oh. Great for my old un <laughs> Great for my old unathletic body. Hey, if I'm grumpy, brittle, and narcissistic, if excuse me, if a grumpy, brittle, and narcissistic old man who have physically assaulted his higher-ups based off rumors he made up in his own head is oh. able to get actually like something other than himself, then it must be really good. Give this place a try. It's obviously a lot of punk fans. Or a lot Boy, of I was about fans. to say, Meltzer's trying hard on that one, isn't he? That's actually, the person who wrote that review, the name is Maki Ito. So <laughs> I, I tend to think it may not be real. <laughs> I'm hurt. I'm old. I'm tired. And I work with fucking children. But Mindy's Bakery brightens my day every day. It's so good I threw a chair at one of my co-workers. <laughs> Try this place. You won't be disappointed. Let me uh, see a few more. <laughs> my favorite cake to eat when telling off the EVPs of my company. This next one says, I share a joint bank account with my mother. And we spend the majority of our earnings here on muffins and pastries. <laughs> Gets us through the headache of working with children every day. <laughs> Look in my eyes. What do you see? Muffins from Mindy's Bakery. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on some of these early ones? Because I know we have a lot of them here, but what, what know, are your I've, thoughts? I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, the cult of meat with extra cheese has now gone carb heavy and we're going to the muffins. Look in my eyes. What do you see? A Mindy's muffin with extra cheese. It doesn't, it doesn't have the same ring. I guess not. I'm trying to. There's so many of these that have been sent in. Do you think they actually got any sales? That's the question. They're getting attention. They're getting feedback. They're getting bullshit reviews from Maki Ito. But are they actually getting sales? Well, one would hope so. But but at the same time, you know, the a lot of these people are probably from around the world, different places. They're not there in Chicago land themselves. They're not right there on the spot. But I'm I'm thinking and hoping that the I'm hoping the fine folks there in Chi-Town will still support Mindy's Bakery. They're, they had nothing to do with this. They bear no responsibility, no matter whose side you're on. They're just providing the Chicago land area with tasty baked goods that everybody can enjoy. And then suddenly something like this happens. You know, there's one SOB in every crowd's got to be a smart ass. We have a few more comments here. I watched a wrestler at a press conference absolutely scarfing down one of Mindy's muffins while losing his mind. <laughs> Keep in mind, he is straight edge, but it made him flip out so I thought to myself, what could be in those muffins? <laughs> so I begged my mom to let me withdraw some money from our joint bank account, <laughs> ran down there, and had a few muffins. Suddenly, I felt rage bubbling up inside of me. I was screaming about how much I hate my coworkers, how they're all empty-headed dumb <laughs> how they're all empty-headed dumb fucks, how I haven't been friends with Scotty Colton since 2014, how I'm a grown man and it's no one's business. I'm cranky, I'm hurt, I have to work with kids. Good muffins though. 
It's another review. I would have given them six stars if they were in the Tokyo Dome. The best pastries to enjoy before important meetings with the EVPs. <laughs> a lot of people jumping on this. Even though I have a joint bank account with my mother, I go to this place every day, except, of course, Monday and Tuesday. I have receipt. Excuse me. I have every receipt. I have every invoice. <laughs> My buddy Ace visited here after failing to eat Kenneth Omega. Awesome muffins. <laughs> you know, sometimes wrestling fans can be funny. <sighs> what do you think of all this? Well, actually, you know, muffins can be good for your digestion. There's some roughage involved in there. It makes you poop better. Uh, I think that's important, especially as we get older. Hopefully, Larry had a bite of that muffin as well so he could uh so he could have an enjoyable poop a little cleanse there ah, i think we all ought to support mindy's bakery in this in this tragic time Jim, let's get to our next topic or question or whatever this is here get AEW stuff a little bit out of the way i'm sure that may be more later but there was a promo that several listeners requested we check out <laughs> from marina shafir who we've seen wrestle and I think maybe talking a promo package, but we've never actually seen a promo from her in what it turns out is her hometown, Albany, New York. Well, and she may have put an end to Tony's habit lately of, of shining people in their hometown. <laughs> if, if, you, if you came from that town, no matter who you are, where you are on the card, you're going to get to do something because they're going to like you, which is the opposite of what Vince would do for years. I never understood that embarrassing people in her hometown but you don't have to take you know the lighting guy hey the lighting guys from fucking dubuque so we're in dubuque let's let the lighting guy win the belt or something but apparently they gave marina schaefer a live promo shafir whichever and she's out there with i guess it was after a match or something or nyla rose is out there with her and vicky guerrero and they turn the microphone over to Marina. And we have seen some of her matches, unfortunately. And I know she was a an MMA fighter. I know she was pals with Ronda Rousey. And probably I don't remember her level of accomplishment in that world. But what we have seen of her as a professional wrestler has been abysmal. And, and and she's the one that's married to Roderick Strong, right? That's right. One of the one of the, not only the best workers in the in the just technical in ring workers in the business in any company, but also a guy that's been around long enough and he's been in the developmental program. He knows how to train, teach, advise. She's got to be, and I hate to say this, but she's got to be hopeless at this point if she actually not only has been through training in a variety of places, but lives with a trainer. But we'd never, we'd heard her speak in packages, as you said, but we'd never heard her live. And now we know why. Because as brutal as it has been to watch her wrestling, apparently public speaking is not one of her strong points either. And Brian, I defy you 
to explain to me what this promo was. It it wasn't what it was going to be, obviously. There was something in there that she was going to say that, that she had told somebody beforehand or somebody had told her or something. I can't believe they just let her go out there and just do a live promo for two minutes, Marina. Somebody had to have suggested some material or heard her say it and said, okay, that sounds okay or makes sense in some fashion. And then she went out there and just, it left her mind. Just blank. Speaking of fashion, what did you think of her wearing a straw hat? Well, yeah, that somebody on Twitter remarked that it, she looked like Huckleberry Finn if he'd fucking forgotten <laughs> his own name. Um, it's, but so she, yeah, she's wearing a straw hat. And she starts by saying that, and now they're heels, right? And Vicky's right. as heel as you can get. And we have audio if you want to play any audio, too. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Well, there's no way I can describe this. It let you take it, take it from here. Well, if you want to stop at any point, let me know. I'm sure I will. I just want to let the audience know at some point she will reference you. At that point, she's pointing to the camera and the home audience watching on YouTube. Just want to be clear of that because it could be confusing. But here is after a no. Oh, you don't think you think that's the only thing in this promo? It's going to be confusing. We will find out. Here's Marina Shafir. To me, my client Marina Shafir has a message just for you. Marina Shafir going to speak here. The problem. She is a problem. Hey, real quick, let me stop. It's nice (laughs) they're using Ian Riccoboni on uh on YouTube now. Well, yes, I thought the voices actually sounded like they knew what they were doing, but I wasn't wasn't sure. But yes, um, the Ring of Honor announced crew there. And also Marina's nickname is The Problem. And did the agents just, give, did the producers backstage give her that nickname? <laughs> I've, I'm just the, the jokes are writing themselves at this point. Go ahead. Albany where we are (laughs) my name is marina shafir daughter of disabella shafir and veniamin shafir and you welcomed us with open arms in 93 when we immigrated here from moldova it's story time okay you (laughs) no good son of a bitches welcomed us with open arms when we came here from moldovia or Moldavia. Moldova, Moldova. Or, or, my, I wish they molded over and decided <laughs> might as well go to the United States. Why is she screaming it? Why is she mad that they welcomed her parents with open arms? This is this is the way this thing starts, and it, it gets worse, and you can't figure it out. She's upset. Go ahead. In a straw hat once again, but here In a she straw is. Hat. Oh me. Yes, you do. My parents created the problem. (laughs) In Albany, you raised the problem. You are a part of the problem. (laughs) Everybody's blaming Albany tonight. It's it's not the best. All of you, (laughs) all of you are part of the problem. Let them have it, Marina. Oh, these are ticket buying fans. What are we trying are to do? You, you know me. 
part of the problem. Now, I just want to stop here. I mentioned she, she keeps using the word you. Right now, she's still talking to the room. It's about to turn to the camera. Yeah, she, she's pointing up in the stands all around. You know me. I And you're a part of the problem. Because you welcomed my parents with open arms when they immigrated from Moldania. Moldova? And uh, let's go back to Maria. I'm Shapiro. sorry, baby. When we immigrated from Monrovia. Is that where the Monroe brothers are from? That's actually where they were born. Yeah, Monrovia. <laughs> All right. Here's Maria Shapiro. You're part of the problem, Ian. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know. You don't know nothing about me. <laughs> and now she's kicking the turnbuckles also. She's kicking the bottom turnbuckle over and over while screaming that while earlier, you know me. Now she's screaming, <laughs> you don't know me. <laughs> Losing her mind here. And look at Vicky. And the commentators just making fun of this whole segment as it happens. There's nothing they can explain. They're still trying to figure it out. They're looking at their notes like, was this down here? It's like back when the the Marx Brothers were on Broadway. (laughs) Whoever wrote the fucking play would stand in the back on opening night. And and finally, you know, every once in a while, I just heard one of the lines I wrote. Well, I don't know what George S. Kaufman would have thought of this, but let's go back to the end of Marina Shafir. She loves this descent into madness, the madness in the eyes of Marina. Understand this. Understand this. When the violins play, violence is always on the way. Oh, boy. Violence. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's the end. Understand this, if you understood nothing else I said. (laughs) So when the violins play, the violence is on the way. I'm assuming her theme song has violins. Otherwise, this makes completely no sense. Well, you know, we've heard so much about sax and violins on television. And I think that a saxophone or a violin is just fine to have on television. I don't know why people are upset about sax and violins on television. Why do I hear Jim Barnett as you're doing this bit? Because I can't do a a good (laughs) Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. (laughs) Well. (laughs) I do a better Barnett than I do a Roseanne. Never mind. The fact that they aired this, I mean. Again, it's well, you taped. can't really you can't really say that they aired it. It was on YouTube, and their numbers are not as big as ours. But, but still, it, it's not doing this poor girl any favors to when somebody. I mean, there were a couple of times in OVW when I had green talent, you know, inexperienced rookies, whatever people hadn't done television that you would for their own sake so people didn't see them doing what she was doing having a goddamn mental meltdown because she obviously couldn't figure out how to say what she had in her head you don't want people to see that they didn't have to air that it wasn't live but you know it's not the job of the technical producers the people who actually punch the buttons to determine what goes on the television program any t- 
TV program that I've booked, been responsible for booking, that was also me. I determined what stayed and what went, if anything. I don't know what Tony's process is for it, but somebody should have said, no, we shouldn't show this. And, you know, because people are going to be laughing at this poor lady, which they are. Okay, so what if the roles were reversed? And again, you're not Jim Cornette, the podcaster, critiquing this. You're Jim Cornette, the producer or the agent. And she comes back, and you can't say, just quit the business. That's off the table. <laughs> what do you say to help someone like this who is trying, is trying? I mean, she's clearly trying. It's just not yes. working. Well, first, I would have to know what she was trying to say or was supposed to have said or what it what it sounded like that somebody reasonable said, yeah, go out and do this. Because you, I mean, I can't. I can't figure out a way to critique something when I don't know what it was supposed to be beforehand. And now somebody's going to say, well, then how do you know it was bad? No, we just played it for you. That was bad. When, when nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about and there's light chance of shut the fuck up in the building, chances are the promo is not landing. It's not getting across. It's not riveting. I, you know, depending on what was she wanting to do there? Um, she starts off in an angry tone while thanking the people for welcoming her parents with open arms. But then maybe there's some something she left out as to why that then, but then she had problems with the town because she's a problem. Or I, I, I don't know what the fuck. I don't know whether to tell her be more baby ish or be more heelish or don't be so mad. Be another emotion. What the fuck was the point of all of that? So, but you've got to know that before you can critique somebody to say, you know, just what do I say? Don't lose your mind and start kicking the turnbuckles and screaming the same words over and over when people are still going as to what you're talking about. And are we supposed to like you or not like you? You're from our hometown, but we're part of the problem. I don't, what, was there some cute play on words that was really going to register there if she'd have said it right? I don't know. I think that whole thing was probably a 30 second conversation. You go out there and you say, I was born here. I was raised here. You guys raised the problem. You know me. The people at home don't know me. But when the violence start, the violence starts or whatever the fuck she said. <laughs> it's just she added an extra two minutes of, you know me. Hold on. Well, and there, and there she is on the phone right now. Fucking spam. Hold on. Fuck you. All right. <clears throat> I pulled the Jim Cornette here today. Very good. We can't end on that note. Say something else. So we end on a different note. Um, we end on a note well, uh, but Marina, uh, thanks for playing. Try again. Uh, you know, I, I would say if she rehearsed that over and over, I would say next time don't rehearse at all. If she didn't rehearse it at all, I'd say next time do a lot of rehearsal. Next time, whatever you did this time, do the exact opposite. Did you have to work a lot with Roddy on promos? Yes. Yes. That... <laughs> It uh, Roddy's a smart guy, and he's, uh, again, another one of these guys that's funny as fuck in the locker room and very personable, but... Roderick Strong, for anyone listening at home wondering. Yes. Not Roddy Pike. But for... 
for what for quite a while. And remember, I've said in NXT with the Undisputed Era, he started coming out with it, and he it much improved and sounded like he meant things. But Roddy had not only a struggle with being a natural public speaker, but also the tone of his voice lent itself to making it sound like he didn't mean what he said, if that makes any sense. He just had that tonal quality. I don't know. And it was tough. That was, that was why when we switched him heel uh, and made him the champion, he, he got Truth Martini as a manager because you could get some declarative statements out of Roddy and it sounded okay and his work was impeccable, but he needed somebody else to do the majority of the talking and or explaining or anything that was a little more complicated or whatever. And, and, and we were always trying to fire him up, fire him up verbally. Well, luckily Marina Shafir has the truth martini of AEW Vicky Guerrero in her corner. Oh boy. That's another shoe boy. All right. Nevertheless, our next question sent to corny drive through at gmail.com is from boy. He put it and it's hard to see what he put here. Charlie Harper in Carmel, Indiana. Charlie, if you send an email to someone, you should have the text in black and the background in white, not the background in black. And then the text in black. So I can't read your name, but maybe he has a good question. Here's Charlie's question. Oh, my God. My father grew up in a small town, Indiana. The Boswell Armory was his wrestling spot. He used to talk about the CB radio boom of the 70s. <laughs> my question is, wrestlers were on the road almost as much as truck drivers. Did wrestlers use CB radios or anything like that during all those hours on the road? Did you have a CB radio and a handle at the time? Oh my God. Yeah. Every wrestler from what was it? 1975 or six, I guess in through the early eighties had a CB radio, at least in the Tennessee territory. I assume any of the big driving territories they did because that was, uh, it, the, the craze was brought on by the, the, uh, gas prices and uh, gas prices, gas crisis, gasoline crisis. What? There are listeners who have no idea what a CB radio is. Citizens Band Radio. It's it, oh goddamn! Now, how do you explain things? When was the last time it was in a who car? Are so young, they're yeah. too stupid to know anything. <laughs> a Citizens Band Radio is a radio that 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 broadcasts on bands that are used by average citizens that don't need to be monitored by the FCC. It's like a ham radio type thing, but it's in your car and a CB radio. The truck drivers used it because of the gas crisis and the, the prices of gas in the seventies, they had lowered the speed limit to 55 miles an hour on the interstate everywhere, everywhere. And no truck drivers nor no wrestlers were going to drive 55 miles an hour on the interstate. And so they'd use the CB radio because if you saw a cop sitting there waiting, shooting with a radar gun, whatever, you'd get on the radio. Hey, Breaker 1-9. Breaker, Breaker 1-9. <laughs> Breaker 1-9, good buddies. You got a Smoky Bear at 
mile marker 42 with his eyes open and that kind of shit, right? The fuzz. The fuzz. And and then the fuzz buster, a radar detector. That was another thing that went along, set on your dash, went along with CB radio. So you talk to the truck drivers and the other drivers, see where the cops were. And if they shot you with the radar, the fuzz buster would go off. <clears throat> I had a fuzz buster one time in Louisiana come up over a hill and thing went I said, shit, I hit the brakes, but it was too late. He had me, busted me, pulls me over. I said, how fast was I going, sir? He said, you were doing 59 and a 55. And I said, well, that's four miles an hour. You can't let me slide on four miles an hour. He said, well, normally I would, but I see you got a fuzz buster there, and we consider that an unfair advantage. I said, you got $25,000 worth of radar. I consider that an unfair advantage. He gave me the ticket anyway. So the CB radio, yes, all the guys had them. And like I said, they talked to the truck drivers and everything. They talked to each other. And, the, and everybody had, I never had a CB in my car. That was kind of going away by the time I got into business. But Mama Cornette got one because she didn't want to get no tickets. And we would listen. Every once in a while, she would talk and say something. Because did she have a handle? One also. Did she have a handle? What was it? Oh, my God. You know, I think it was Folger. I think it was because that's what my dad used to call my mom. He called her Folger. And nobody understands that now. But in the 50s and 60s, there was a TV commercial for Folger's Coffee. It's Mountain Grown. And he called her Folger because she was Mountain Grown. Um, but Teeny had one, and, they, and they'd talk back and forth. But and every once in a while, I'd get on there and, and rattle some truck drivers, you know, just mess with them. But the best CB radio story with any of the wrestlers that I've ever heard was Stan Lane and Steve Kern with old Silo Sam, little John Harris. I've told you this one, hadn't I? I don't recall. Okay. So, folks, the fabulous ones were Stan Lane and Steve Kern. They're in the Memphis Territory. This is a after they had left the first time, and I think they came back for the last run. So it's 84, 85. Probably 85, if I had to guess, based on okay. Silo Sam. <clears throat> right. Well, 85, that's right, because he, he went to Tennessee right after he fucked up our match at Texas Stadium. Anyway, so Stan and Steve, and, and Kern especially, is, you know, he's always got the CBs and all that stuff and everything. And they're driving down the interstate on the way to Louisville or somewhere, and they see old little John Harris, Silo Sam. He's seven feet, six inches tall, and he's got that giant gut and that big, hairy beard. And he's, because he came to the territory with no car, he's riding around. Do you remember a wrestler named Tommy Wright? Yes. Okay. Well, Tommy Wright has got a nice full-size car that old Silo Sam will sit in, uh, fit in, right? So he's driving Silo Sam around to the to the matches in the territory. So Lane and Kern, on the interstate, come up behind Tommy Wright driving Silo Sam. And the window's down, it's nice weather, and Silo Sam's arm is hanging out the door, almost dragging the concrete. His arms are so long, right? And Stan says, we got to do something about this. So as they get up where they're, 
<laughs> they're coming up behind an 18-wheeler on the interstate. And Stan gets on a CB, says, Breaker 1-9 for that consolidated freightways truck or whatever, right? Well, you got him. Yeah, I just want you to know that uh, you need to get the fuck out of my way. How's that? <laughs> you need to get the fuck out of my way, pal, with that piece of shit you're driving. If you'll look in your rearview mirror, <laughs> I'm right behind you. I need to get by you. I'm the biggest man that you've ever seen. <laughs> my, my arm is so long, it's nearly dragging the ground right now. I'm seven and a half feet tall, and if you don't pull that piece of shit out of the way so I can go around you, <laughs> I'm going to just pull you over and kick the shit out of you. <laughs> now, meanwhile, Kern's driving and Kern is up on Tommy Wright's tail enough to where, and he doesn't know that it's Kern and Lane. He just, that somebody's on his ass. So he starts to pass that truck to pick it up a little bit and go around. And as he starts to pass the truck, just out of nowhere, according to what Tommy Wright's thinking, that fucking truck veers into the left lane and runs Tommy Wright and Silo Sam into the goddamn median. <laughs> and and as, as Stan and Steve go by, they reach out the window and wave at old Silo Sam, who's now mired down in the fucking mud in the goddamn median of the interstate and nearly killed by a truck driver. And no, no way to tell why he was so mad. Yeah, why don't you pull that piece of shit over? I'm about the biggest man you've ever seen. If you look <laughs> in your rearview mirror right now, you'll see how big I am, motherfucker. If <sighs> it had kept you occupied on the road. I remember the promo videos they aired in Memphis, the build-up. Big John Harris, Silo Sam coming in. It was just him in the back of a pickup truck being driven yes. around. <laughs> well, you know why they, they shot that footage? Because if... Eddie Marlin ran all the spot shows. If he was running Selmer, Tennessee, or Covington, Tennessee, or Osceola, Arkansas, or whatever, he'd go down early that morning with a bale of hay in the back of a pickup truck and Silo Sam in full straw hat and fucking farmer gimmick, all seven and a half feet tall and 400 pounds of him, sitting on that bale of hay with a sign leaned up says, come see the giant wrestling tonight, school gym. And they just drive around fucking town. That was the only way that you could really draw money with him. Because once people saw him do something, they didn't want to see him again. But just sitting there, shit, I'll pay $3 to see that. It's going to start out good on Saturday. I got to tell you about this because I haven't told you about this yet. Brian, I'm talking you. I'm not talking the royal you now, the cult of Cornette, the people out there. I'm talking you, Brian, last. I have not even told you about that. I didn't even have to leave the property Saturday morning. I did tell you on Sunday, we talked briefly on the phone. I said, well, Saturday morning by 10 o'clock, I had screamed and cussed at somebody and banished them from the property forever. And by seven o'clock that night, I was having one of the best meals I've ever had. And I said, I wonder what the people would think if they knew that. And you, you said something like they would think it was Tuesday for you. Just a normal thing. Just another normal Jim Cornette day. I, that's not true. I don't scream at people a lot anymore without sufficient provocation. But let me tell you about some provocation. You said so anymore. You, you said anymore. Do you think anymore? Do you agree that you may have in the past yelled at people without sufficient provocation? No, I just did it. I just had a lot more <laughs> constant and uh, numerous sufficient provocation. 
because I actually associated with people back then. If you associate with somebody, anybody long enough, you've got sufficient provocation to scream and yell and cuss at them. It just depends. Or at least if you, there are certain people that might be immune from that, but if you just deal with, oh God, large numbers of people, like say in person, four or five people a week, that's a large number for then sooner or later, you're going to be screaming. Nevertheless, right, you know, I've been having a lot of work done and that's why in your little snide comment in the open of the show, we were about to record this program about an hour ago and suddenly the the painting crew showed up to pressure wash some parts of the house to begin the painting process and now that my remodel is hopefully coming to a close except for interior details we're getting the house painted and this has been planned but not for today and suddenly they show up and the the thing is running and the water's hitting and it's making all kinds of noise and we were delayed slightly, and you're apparently miffed at that with your little passive-aggressive commentary. wasn't passive-aggressive, and I'm not miffed at all. I thought it was funny. made me laugh. thought it would make you laugh, and it did make you chuckle. It gave me a little titter. I tittered. A titter. A titter. I tittered. I tittered. All right, well, let's toddle on. But nevertheless, so anyway, so I've been having work done, and one— and. Uh, you know also I've talked about this. I've had the Monroe brothers out in the yard. They've been working on my stonework and my mulch beds. They do a lot of stuff for me. I've been having the remodel done, but I've still been using the same individual and his gang of merry misfits that's been cutting my grass for several years. And the reason for this is very simple. Because I do not have room for a mower and all the apparatus that goes along with a lawnmower when my garage is already, I can't even put my vehicles in my garage because it's full of action figures and or things related to this remodel or whatever on a constant basis. And there's this one goof, and his name is Landon, and you'll need to remember that later on. You're going to be hearing it a lot. He has the trucks and the trailers and the mowers and the equipment and the stooges to come out here and mow this yard. And even though he does, I, he's very cheap and I get what I pay for, he's a complete imbecile. I mean, if it was raining soup, he'd be out in the yard with a fork. And his minions that work for him, there's this one, one fellow's Hispanic. He's got an excuse. There's nothing wrong with being Hispanic, but it, English might not be his first language. But then the other guy, he looks about as English as a motherfucker can look, and they both will just stand and stare at you when you try to talk to them like you've got turds hanging out of your mouth. Then they don't know what the fuck in. They just go on to do what they're going to do anyway. And he's done a piss-poor job, but I have the Monroes go over and, around and clean up behind him with some, but I've been using the mowers and the convenience of his truck and trailer, right? But this year, since we had done so much work, I told him, and I started talking to him about this a couple months ago, I don't want to mulch the leaves this year. I want to do like the big boys do down at the big house on the corner, the big new house they built down on the corner of the road. I've seen them out there, and I've read about this on the internet, and I've talked to people, you blow them up. 
and you gather them up on a tarpaulin or one of those cyclone leaf rakes or all these commercials you're seeing. Do they have those commercials up there in the big city, Brian, for the cyclone leaf rake? I don't know if I've seen that one. It's where the guy is mowing his yard. He's riding his little riding mower. It looks like there's not a drop of sweat coming off of him. And you know he's, he's hitting all them holes and the mole runs and he's shaking his kidneys. But he's mulching the leaves and it vacuums them up in the thing that he's hauling along behind him. And then you just, it, it's like, it's, it's a vacuuming of your yard. You haven't seen that commercial. I have not seen that commercial. Well, you don't watch a lot of TV then. It's every third commercial down here. But maybe up there in the city, you people don't have wildlife and leaves and things. Every third commercial appears a lawyer. Well, that's true. You actually, you got plenty of wildlife. It's bears. That's why they all want to sue. Anyway. I tell Landon, I said, Landon, I don't want to mulch the leaves this year. I got so many trees on one, one side of the house. In the back, in the corner there, especially, in a, the, all that leaf mulch from the last several years, it has just stayed because it's so much. It kills the grass. It clogs the creek. It gets everywhere. Like they do it down there, I want to blow them, put them on a tarp, put them in a truck, suck them up, vacuum, <laughs> whatever you got to do, right? Right, you want to blow them and suck them up. Blow them and suck them. Whatever you, here's what I told him. I said, and this was one month and four days ago now. I said, whatever you need to do, get me a plan and a price. That's what I want to do. And you know me, Brian, when I'm telling people something that I want, I'm not usually an ambiguous person. I'm pretty specific, right? Yeah. So I'm t I am told this little weasel that I said, come up with a plan and a price. Now, if you, if you're in the business of cutting yards and he does the people next to me and he does cross the street and he does a bunch of other stuff I don't even know about and don't care to find out. But what are you saying? Well, I'm saying other people's yards and grass cutting and things. He does, he does this. This is not just some fucking asshole out for a fucking hobby on the afternoon. It's supposed to be what he does for a living for a business. So if somebody says to you, this is what I want done, come up with a plan and a price, what do you do? I submit a plan with a price. A price? Yeah. Well, that was beyond him. Because that I told him that in person and he left. And then two weeks later, I ain't heard a goddamn word from him on the phone. And he sends some new fat guy that i've never seen before that's never mowed any of these yards not a new fat guy a new fat guy and he's the but he's the only one i've ever asked a question of that i got a response from the other ones like i said just stare at you like they're one of the fucking darling brothers on the andy griffith show i said so anyway he sends a fat guy over and i look i see he's mowing the yard next door and i'm thinking well i've never seen this guy before i wonder if my neighbor over there got him a new Yard guy, and then the guy comes around and comes into my yard. He starts, now bear in mind, at this point, it has not rained in this town for over three weeks at that point. That's two, two and a half weeks ago. And the grass has not grown and some of the leaves have fallen, but it's just enough to where if you try to mow this, all you're going to get is dust and you're going to chop up leaves and spread them everywhere. It's got, he's, he looked like the Tasmanian devil in the yard next to me. All the dust flying everywhere. The grass is almost dead. <clears throat> so he comes over. I got to chase him down from behind. He can't hear me screaming, stop, stop. I tap him on the shoulder. What? I said, what are you doing? I'm mowing. 
I said, I'm aware of that. <laughs> I said, did Landon send you? Yeah. I said, I told him two weeks ago that I don't want to mulch the leaves this year, that I want to blow them and suck them up in some fashion. He's supposed to be getting me a plan and a price. It hasn't rained here in over three weeks. Look at this. You can't tell what you've just run over with the mower versus the other part, except that you've chopped up some of the leaves. Let's not do that. You're blowing dust everywhere. Have Landon call me. I'll call Landon. He's pulling out his phone. I said, we'll do that. And then I never, he leaves. I never hear from Landon. So then last week, 10 days ago, whatever, I call, I leave a message for Landon. Landon, now the wind and the rain that we had for the first time in six weeks has taken the a lot of the leaves down. What is your plan for leaf removal as we've spoken about this this year? No call back. Guess what I saw Saturday morning, Brian? What's that? I saw Landon. Landon and his stooges. And they showed up. And they are out in front of the, in the front yard by the road. And they're starting, they're blowing with these blowers. They're blowing all the leaves behind the fence and everything. And I'm thinking, okay, he's got a plan. He didn't want to tell me about it. But I guess, and I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't see any tarps. I don't see any truck. I see his trailer with his mowers and he's mowing and mulching the leaves in the yard next to me. I said, when he comes over here, I guess I'll have to ask him what he's doing. And guess what he did? He bops around the fence. I see who I think is Landon. And he's on the mower and he's going up the fence row in my yard, mulching up all the leaves. As they're blowing on one side, he's mulching leaves on the other side. So I go out there and now he's in the back and I'm trying to run catch again. And I go and tap him on the shoulder, and he turns around. It's not Landon. It's the Hispanic fellow that stares at me like I have steaming turds in my mouth. And I repeat the question, what are you doing? And he stares at me. Where's Landon? And he stares. I said, Landon. And he points that away. Apparently, Landon is over somewhere on my neighbor's property. Well, now I've already walked 500 feet to catch this son of a bitch. Now I got to walk 500 feet back to the house and fucking go get my phone, try to call Landon, who's apparently somewhere within a 1,500 or 2,000 foot perimeter of me because he showed up and he knows I'm home. The garage door's open, lights are on, and he's still not decided to tell me what he's going to do about my fucking leaves. So I call him and guess what I get? Voicemail. I said, Landon. Call me about these leaves or just come over here. And then I look out about 10 minutes later and there he is put putting up the drive in his mower because apparently one of his stooges has told him I was looking for him. And I go out there, I said, Landon, I've been calling you. What is the plan? What are you doing today? I see the guy over on the other side blowing He's blowing the leaves out from underneath the trees. I see the other guy over here on the mower mulching up the leaves that we talked about not mulching. You're supposed to give me a plan and a price. What's going on? Well, uh, 
Well, we do a combination of blowing and mulching. I said, no, that's what you've been doing every year, which is what I told you over a month ago. We didn't want to do this year. And you're going to come up with me a plan and a price of how to vacuum or suck or blow all these leaves. These are a lot of leaves. I said, I'm aware of that. Several acres worth. That's why I talked to you about this over a month ago, and I've been mentioning it. So you could come up with something. And he, I said, what the fuck was your plan? I said, every third commercial that I have seen is for the Cyclone Leaf Rake. Oh, those things are about $4,000. I said, okay, then I can buy one and stick it in my garage. We could use it every fall. I just came up with a plan in five seconds. This is your business, and you have not called me back with any plan. Were you going to, again, just do what you always do and not tell me and ignore all my phone calls? And then after the fact, you would think that was a good thing? Hum, 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 hum. And bear in mind, I'm talking to you, Brian, to bear this in mind. I'm not telling him this. Bear in mind, this fucking idiot has obviously not made one effort to investigate whether he could rent anything, as I mentioned, or whether he had it, or whether he had an idea in his fucking empty head. Right? So as I tell you, and now that I've said all this, not only has he ignored what I asked for, not only is he ghosted me on phone calls. Not only has he sent people over twice to do what I asked him not to fucking do without telling me that he had put no effort whatsoever into figuring out what I wanted him to do, regardless of how much money he was going to charge me, I didn't give a shit. So he's a complete blithering simpleton, right? So I say, you know what? Here's the thing, because I knew I was vibrating. And at this point, I was neither cussing him nor screaming but I was indignant. I'll I tell you what. Here's the deal. Today, the dogs got to shits. I've got my anniversary dinner tonight. I'm very behind on my action figures. And I'm standing <laughs> here in the goddamn driveway talking about this to you weeks and weeks and weeks after we first started and we ain't no further along. So when you figure out a plan and a price to do what I would like you to do, get back with me. Otherwise, don't do nothing today. Because I know I need to go. Because I'm going to start screaming at this motherfucker and potentially snatching him around the throat. And as I say that and walk back in the garage, I hear him in his little droopy sad sack voice as he's meandering back over to his putt-putt mower, well, Jim, I guess I'm just going to be quitting on you. And I stopped in my tracks, and slowly I turned, step by step, inch by inch. Actually, no, I stopped in my tracks, and then it wasn't slow. I spun around and said, you know what, motherfucker? I've been waiting for you to do that. I've been waiting for you to do that because you gave up on this job a long fucking time ago, you blithering simpleton, you fucking moron. Have I ever argued with you about money? 
or not paid you. No, I would have paid you more, but you do such a shitty fucking job. Why do you think I have these other guys out here? Because they want to work and they want to make money and they know what they're fucking doing. They're not brick-headed simpletons like you and that cast of nitwits. I want you to get the fuck off this fucking property and don't ever goddamn come back. And you know what he did? He got on his little mower and he putt-putted the fuck on out of here. And now, in addition to signing action figures and blah, 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 I've had to call the guy that planted some stuff for me earlier this summer, right before the drought, to see if he could find a guy that he knows that could come over here and do the leaves professionally, which I'm awaiting that phone call now. And this little fucking prick can go piss up a rope and about got drug off his fucking mower and beheaded with the blades. So that's the way I started Saturday. You know who can save this whole thing, Brian Last? Chris Jericho. You are exactly correct. Uh, We need a steady, a calm, a serious, a balanced, focused, sharp, professional eye on this thing. That's what we need. And Chris Jericho... I believe is the person who can provide a sober, rational viewpoint. Sober? A sober, rational viewpoint of of a person well-reasoned, well-rationed. You know, there is no reason to think that Chris Jericho is one of these crazy conspiracy theory nutcases that would just say ridiculous shit out in public and expect people to take it as gospel. I think Chris Jericho will be the guy to right this ship as soon as he gets down from the spaceship. Because have you heard? <laughs> I can't tell what you're transitioning to and I'm dying to find out. <laughs> have you heard that Chris Jericho has recently stated in public that he believes he may have been the target of an alien abduction? No, I saw that he, I thought you, you know what? I thought you were transitioning to a spot. I just happened to say Jericho. And then I thought you were transitioning to him talking about the Olympics. I do not know this one. No. Okay. Hold on here. I'm going to bring the, I I couldn't print this out. This is, um, this is a quote. Well, the quote, the headline was quote, I wasn't doing drugs or anything. Unquote. Chris Jericho recalls suspicious incident which left him in a daze. And this is on Sports Kida, whatever that may be. And the author of the article is Jaya Krishna Desapapan. I swear to God. So we'll move on from that. And apparently this is a, well... It's a friendly news outlet. You can tell this because second paragraph, Jericho can act, sing, and wrestle exceptionally well. Right there, you know that this is not exactly journalism. He has shared several stories from his wrestling and acting career. However, his latest tale has made fans nervous about his health. This is a quote from from Chiss, from Chiss Crerico, from Chris Jericho. (laughs) I have had time displacement. 
It's when you can't account for a certain stretch of time. It's when you get like abducted. <laughs> or you black out because of vodka. <laughs> well, no, hold on now. Hold on now. Now, wait. Okay, let me hear more about his time displacement, please. Well, because there's, there's some time. to He couldn't have been drinking because he was driving. See? Uh, the, the quote is, I've had time displacement. It's when you can't account for a certain stretch of time. It's when you get, like, abducted. I was driving home on a country road. Now, right there, it's always, it's never fucking Interstate 64. It's never in downtown fucking St. Louis next to the Arch. It's always in goddamn Broken Bow, Oklahoma on a country road, Right? So here's his quote. I was driving home on a country road and it should have taken me about an hour to get home. And instead of getting home at 2 a.m. Now, wait a minute. Does Jericho not live in, in suburban Tampa, Florida? Well, he has how many residents there. We don't know how many homes he has. Well, have, have, I don't know, homes. How many homes you got, homes? <laughs> Where is he going to be driving down a deserted country? How many? Has he made an indie show somewhere in fucking Apopka? Uh, he's on a country road, and instead of getting home at 2 a.m., I got home at 5 a.m. I still don't know what happened. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs or anything. There is just a big chunk of time missing. I should probably go to a hypnotist and see what happened. He's really lost it. This, uh, this guy got drunk and watched Flight of the Navigator and thought that was his life. I've not seen that flip film, so I will, I'll just laugh, ha ha ha, because I don't get it, but, <laughs> but it, okay, here's the thing now, you're supposed to get home at 2 a.m., you're driving down a lonely country road, I would assume you're alone, because if you weren't alone, then you could turn to the guy next to you and say, hey, where'd the last three hours go? How do I explain this to my wife? I was supposed to be well, home at two. I got home at five. It must have been alien abduction, of course. There's where I was going. <laughs> now, certainly, I know that, it, that it, especially in the advent of the cell phone era, that uh, my wife, Stacy, always, when I'm on a trip, knows approximately what time I'm going to be home, and she gets updates. And even, yes, this was the middle of the night, but one would think that, you know, the insurrectionist wife would be, you know, at least as concerned about where the fuck he's at at two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning when he's overdue and he's driving out by himself. Could something have happened? She'd be at least as concerned about that as she was about trying to overthrow the fucking uh, doofully and lawfully elected government on January 6th. So... She wasn't calling around. She was like, where the fuck's Chris? He was supposed to be home three hours ago. It's pitch black. I don't know what could have happened to him. He won't answer his cell phone. He must be on a country road. A country road being <laughs> abducted and, and anal probed by fucking the invaders. Roy Thinnis found that fucking shortcut. And now Chris has gone through the same path. For all of you fans of the Quinn Martin production, The Invaders. So he can't account for three hours. And again, now this is not his close is I should probably go to a hypnotist and see what happened. Okay. I've driven 
as everyone knows, a couple million miles in my life. How will I find out what happened here? I know. I'll go to a hypnotist. I'll go to a hypnotist. What? If I ever <laughs> came back from Orlando or New York or Chicago or wherever the fuck, and I know exactly what time I'm supposed to be home, and if I showed up at home three hours late while never having stopped whatsoever and be not being cognizant of any delay in my trip, I'm calling a goddamn neurosurgeon. I'm getting a brain scan. I'm not going to, I guess I'll probably go to a hypnotist and see if the, the Cartman's anal probe is still inside of me. Did you ever hear about what Dennis Rodman said to Carmen Electra when she caught him in bed with another woman? No, but I'd like to. They were married and she walks in and there's Rodman fucking some other girl. And she says, Dennis, who's this girl in my bed? And he says, what girl? And she says, <laughs> the girl right there. And he actually said, she must have fallen out of the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost as good as I was abducted by aliens on a country road. <laughs> uh, okay, so now the person that apparently has Tony Khan's ear and is giving him loads of great advice, including bring somebody in for me to beat every week on television, Tony fully believes that he lost three hours in the middle of the night but wasn't concerned enough about it to go to a doctor and find out what may have happened. Was it daylight savings? What day was it? Well, now, wait a minute. You can't know it's not daylight savings because that's three hours. He would have had to have been driving from the West Coast. And also, we fell back rather than ahead. So it's good. The time's going in the wrong way. Maybe he was on the flight with Hogan coming back from Japan where he could work twice in the same day across the international dateline. Do they have an international dateline on an interstate near Tampa? In Tampa? I don't know. Then we come to the three-way tag team number one contender match between the Viking Raiders, the Lucha Suits, and Skid Row. And each of the teams has their female valet, manager, handler, mistress, as you like to say, whatever the case, in their corner. I like to say mistress when it's a mistress. I don't think any of these women have been shown to be mistresses for any Well, you used that term the other day. About a mistress. Well, and, and that hadn't been established. But we nevertheless, we, 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 had, uh, we got Zelina Vega, we got B-Fab, and we've got Val Halla. That's her name, Valerie Halla, from the uh, Poughkeepsie Hallas. They're a big family up there. So I already knew by the time I watched this, because it went viral, it was actually infectious is what it was. I knew what was coming. But even before we got there, I got to be honest with you. Every time that Top Dollar gets in the ring, it's visually fascinating to me, for whatever perverse reason. I mean, it, it. every time he touches somebody, it looks like he's a wacky, waving arm, inflatable tube whale. His arms are just flailing, and his, and his, the baggy basketball outfit that he wears, and he, he obviously is convinced that things that he is are is doing are impressive and that he's over because of the demeanor and the attitude he takes with it and the grandiose 
It's like he's the rock about to give the people's elbow. Have you seen this? Am I imagining this? No, and I completely agree with you, and I'm happy to hear you say this. He's utterly fascinating to watch because it's like a guy has no experience in the ring at all, and they've just put him out there, even though we know he's been trained by them. Yes, it's it's like, like I said, the you know, the basketball dad that, you know, gets to play with the kids on the weekends, right? And he let me show you how I used to do it. And he can't do anything. But he's acting like he's doing everything. And at one but Michael Cole said he's lost almost a hundred pounds. What the fuck did he start at? By the way, he looked better, bigger now that I see him. Well, because he's hundred pounds of weight loss. He's had no discernible physique to the point where I would say he's almost stoop shouldered. There's no arms there. There's no muscle tone. It's admirable. If he's losing weight, if he, if he was trying to be what he looks like, which is a 40 year old car salesman that tries to play basketball on the playground with the kids on weekends, it's admirable. He's lost a hundred pounds. He's trying to be a pro wrestler. He may have lost the only look that he had that was any good if he was 400 fucking pounds because this but my god again when he he teased the dive a time or two and it was like he looks to the hard camera he knows where the camera is and he knows the motions to make it just again looks ludicrous when he makes them it looks like he's a spongebob squarepants character down at the bottom of the ocean kind of waving in the the sea. So well, anyway. But, but the other thing that you're kind of glossing past is he behaves like this. And B-Fab at ringside, she's got a great look. She's also behaving like this is a big deal. The fans are not reacting to anything he does. They've already no, decided that they don't yeah. like him. They don't like Hit Row. They're not interested. And and that's, you know, it's like he's leading, he's conducting an invisible choir with the fans in his head that are cheering for him and anticipating this. So finally, he teased the dive a time or two, and finally, he went for it. And they had contrived the situation where almost everybody in the match, I think maybe everybody in the match, was over on one side of the ring to attempt to be the catchers for this fucking fiasco and he sees he's in the ring all by himself and he looks at the hard camera and gives it the look like oh and he gives some kind of finger sign he should have given the thumbs down i think it was just three fingers down and a thumb up your ass i don't know what the fucking sign was supposed to be and he hits the far ropes and he starts running across the ring And he jumps head first. And Brian, you've seen the guys do Undertaker did this one year at WrestleMania where you do the head first dive and the hands out. It's like Superman taking off out the window and going over the top rope. And you've seen it before where a guy get all the way over the rope and then his feet will hang on the top and that will stop his momentum and he'll go crashing face first to the ground. You've seen that a number of times, right? I have. Yeah. Well, this wasn't that. What this was, was this fucking guy did the goddamn George Reeves fucking push off and the Superman jump out the window on the old TV series. And the only part of him that made it over the top rope was his arms, his head, and his chest. His belly caught the top rope. 
And because he had flown into it with all of his heart and soul, him hitting that top rope with his stomach so fast, he immediately snapped him upside down to where his fucking feet flew straight up in the air and his head not just went head first to the apron, but he was spinning at such a rate that his face flew underneath the bottom <laughs> rope. He almost dove over the top rope and ended up back in the ring. I've never, that would be impossible, but he almost did it. So when he came down, his feet are going over now and his head and chest are underneath the bottom rope, which has the luck of fools and whales has turned him over to where he didn't go head first to the floor. It tur- And he just rolls off the apron of the fucking ring on his feet and walks off like he did something. And meanwhile, everybody that was standing there waiting for it, they all just fell down anyway. Even He never even touched anybody, and they all just crumpled to the ground. I have never seen... It was like the top rope gave him a big backdrop. I have seen guys use the ropes for moves, but I've never seen the one of the ropes use a guy for a move. <laughs> you know and what? It, it, and this is one of those and this is one of those cases where WWE production helped because they made it look a lot better than it was. <laughs> oh yes, cuz the fan cam footage on Twitter from different angles of it showed just how ridiculous cuz you couldn't tell from the official TV version how far he was from missing everybody that fell down anyway. You could still I mean there was no way around the fucking flip. But then did you ever see his tweet afterwards after I told you about it? Well, he blocked me apparently at some point, so I didn't. Well, I'm, blo- see his tweet. I'm blocked too, but the fucking websites were actually picking it up, going, "Look at this! What this guy's saying now," and they would embed it in there. But basically, after this became the talk of the town, so to speak, the topic of conversation amongst polite society. Well, old top dollar, I guess he got his feelings hurt. He, you know, he he tweeted out like. You know, thank God, prayer hands or whatever, that uh, I'm okay. My foot gave out. His foot gave out on the jump is what happened. And he he tweeted a clip to prove that he could do it. He said, here's a clip of me when I was 50 pounds heavier. And apparently it's, I guess, at the Performance Center because he's, I I assume he's been in the WWE program. He's never wrestled for anybody else. So it had to be at a Performance Center. This wasn't the Performance Center itself. It was like a small rec center or something, a Performance Center show in Florida. It was one or two rows of ringside, that type of thing. Everybody's got to learn somewhere. I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying this was not on television. And he tweeted this clip. He said, I'm 50 pounds heavier. Here I am doing... Well, in this case, yes, he's exactly right. He took off running, and he dove over the top rope, and he cleared that some bitch, and he went straight over the other side and went right in between all the people that were trying to catch him face first to the fucking floor. And that's the the clip that he tweeted to prove that he could actually do it. So he can prove he got over the rope, but he still had never proved that he can actually hit this fucking thing. 
in general, is that a bad idea? The whole idea, well, you saw me botch this, but look, I used to be able to do it. Well, yes. I mean, there's so many bad ideas and things wrong with that wrapped up. The one is that he's doing it anyway. He wants to be cool. You can tell he thinks he's cool already, and he wants to be cooler. A 300-and-whatever-pound guy marked down from 400-and-whatever shouldn't be doing a goddamn dive over the top rope even if he can, unless it's The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I'll go for that. When somebody's getting a seven-figure payoff to do it and somebody's getting a seven-figure payoff to stand underneath it. But this fucking moron for a flat salary and the idiots that were standing there not knowing he wasn't going to land on him, here's the goddamn thing again. Sure, yes, some of these... Uh, Felix over in AEW, he does a lot. Well, no, he falls on his ass and head a lot too. I mean, so, one of these acrobatic wrestlers may be able to nail this shit every time without hurting themselves or anybody else. Maybe that's possible. I don't know. I can't call that person. I've never been dove on, nor have I dove upon anyone. I just fucking worked and made money. But I'll tell you what. I've known a lot of smart wrestlers and a lot of successful wrestlers and a lot of wrestlers that made a lot of money. A lot of wrestlers made a lot more money in wrestling business than I have. And I don't know any of them for just every goddamn television match or every time they're in a house show or every time they're anywhere that they would want to stand there at ringside underneath some moron diving off of or over the ropes onto them, whether they were singly standing there or in a fucking group. How many times have we, was that Ridge Holland? He caught a guy on a fucking dive, blew his fucking quad and had surgery and was out for months and months and months. Uh, Same thing happened 20 years ago to goddamn, um, Scott Putsky's son, or Scott Put Ivan Putsky's son, Scott, caught Brian Christopher, blew his fucking leg. We've seen guys land on their heads. We've seen guys give themselves concussions. We've seen guys turn ankles or whatever the fuck, and not the worked turned ankle of the balding buck the other week, but actual injuries. But besides that, what nobody is thinking about, and I'm surprised is not more prevalent, if you're standing there, even if you're in a group of five wrestlers that should be able to catch 300 pounds, you're not catching a 300-pound sack. You're catching, especially this uncoordinated whale-like individual, allegedly going to fly over the top rope. Where are his elbows coming? The top rope's nine feet off the fucking ground. So the guy's going to be coming from 10 feet, whether he's 200 pounds or 250 or 165 or 300, no matter how coordinated he is. He's flipping, he's spinning, he's doing a backflip. Where's his knees coming? Where's his elbows coming? Where's the back of his head coming? If a bunch of people are reaching up to catch him and, he, and, and he's coming at a high rate of speed and he weighs a couple hundred pounds, where do their elbows go? Related to my fucking face if I'm behind them. It's stupid for something that everybody does in every fucking match. It's a needless risk for a momentary pop that all it does is look phony and give the trampoline cowboy fans something to fucking clap about for 10 seconds and give them a quiz. 
stand at the door at the end of the show as they're all filing out of the arena and say, describe the most impressive flip of the night and who was standing there to catch the guy and see how many can put down all the fucking names. So you just risked your goddamn face and your dental work or potentially fucking blowing a knee or whatever the case to be a miscellaneous extra in a fucking mosh pit to catch some idiot that may or may not be hitting his target. Fuck you. Have you ever seen someone try to, I can't even say it without laughing, have you ever seen someone before try to dive over the top rope? That side shot from the fan cam showed it. He didn't even leave the ground. I mean, no. I it wasn't even like a jump. It, you can't even call it a jump. He, like, just... <laughs> the, top, the top rope of the ring is a, in the WWE is approximately five feet off the, off the mat. And he hit it with just the exactly his center of gravity, his belly button area. And he's six foot six. So he was standing on his tippy toes and got three inches of air at best. And actually, that used to be the way that Bill Dundee took his over-the-top rope bump on purpose. Because he was, he was, I've never seen anybody else do it, and he could nail it. It looked fantastic. In that you would throw him and he would just go stomach first into the rope, bend at the waist, handstand off the apron without holding any of the ropes, and go off onto the concrete floor. And that was a fucking great bump. He was taking it on purpose, not by accident. This fucking guy, and the, the rib is, this guy couldn't do this again in a million years. If he tried every day for the rest of his life, he'll never do that again. How much longer do you think the hit row project will be on the air boy unless there's pictures of somebody and goats um i think they're already looking for a way to because they've already shortened everything up their matches are as short as they can get but my i mean this this was the spectacular botch but ever you know the one kid what ashante he might be all right but in between the the girl just stares and looks out of place and dances around with the long legs you can tell she and they tried to have a match with they booked a match with her a couple weeks ago and didn't actually have it so that shows where her progress is at so i, I this guy bumps like a drunk and a slip and slide is basically what <laughs> <sighs> anyway uh oh but there's more to the match now wait a minute we we we, we got to get to the finish because they got the girls at ringside, so the girls got in and did spots with each other, and it looked like they nearly killed themselves. One came off the turnbuckles to the floor with a Hurricane Rana that fucking went sideways. I don't know what the fuck. But then finally, the finish was one of the Lucha suits was going to run at Top Dollar, and Top Dollar was going to scoop him up for a double-team move where he would scoop him up and hold him in his arms like you were rocking a baby to sleep. And Ashante was going to drop kick the guy while he was up in his arms. He was going to go backwards with him, right? Can you visualize that? Somewhat. Well, they can't. Because apparently, again, as much preparation goes into these things, they had to have to come up with this move. If it was their idea, which I don't know why an agent would say do this, so it had to be their idea. They had to have 
at least got in the ring and said, look, I'll pick you up like this and he'll come from here. And when they got to it, it fell the fuck apart. The guy's coming off the ropes at top dollar. Top dollar goes to scoop him up. And when he scoops him up, the guy's momentum is still going. So top dollar almost loses him. He bends over and he's trying to keep him up in his arms, but they almost fell through the fucking ropes on the other side of the ring. The guy in the, in top dollar's arms had to grab the top rope to steady himself. So the top dollar could get under him to pick him up. Well, now top dollar has turned around and he's got him up in his arms like the rocking baby. But now Ashante is not on the right side of dollar to do the drop kick dollar. So instead of being in front and he should have been right in front, go back and watch the DVR. He should have been right in front of dollar and jump up and drop kick the guy in the chest. But instead he's on the right side, 90 degree angle of dollar. So he just jumped up and kicked the fucking guy that dollar was holding wherever he could hit him, which, which basically knocked dollar off balance and he just fell backwards with the fucking guy. And they said, and, and top dollar sold his, their own finish. <laughs> he was late. <laughs> he took the bump and Adonis pinned the fucking guy while dollar is laying there selling their own fucking finish with a look of pain on his face and holding his ribs. Cause it probably hurt him. <sighs> oh, God damn it. Oh, we might, I'm about to get the vapors. I tell you what. Oh. Whoa. It was a scream. Extended scream. A scream over on SmackDown this past week. Was that the main event? No, no. The main event was the bloodline. That was just the match that probably ran all the people off. Let's get to the good part, shall we? We are an hour and a half into this wrestling program. And here, Tony Schiavone is in the ring with Rick Ross. And when I first heard the, the announcement of this, I was like, who the fuck is that now? But I remember he's been on the program before in a pre-tape with him. He must be friends with Swerve. Apparently, he's a rapper. Tony Schiavone just oh, glorified him. A million-selling recording artist and this guy and that guy. He's a big star. Well, I don't give a shit. But the point is, he's there to mediate, quote unquote, that was the quote, mediate the, the face-off between Keith Lee and Swerve because they've broken up their team. Swerve has switched heel. Keith is apparently just confused. I don't know what the fucking deal with his. But Rick Ross may be a celebrity to some people. But Jesus Christ on a cracker, don't give him a live microphone anymore. Yes. For a variety of reasons. No, give him a live microphone every week. <laughs> this was the greatest segment. This is up on that list. Jade Cargill's debut, Maki Ito singing while Sheeta gets beat up by Vicky Guerrero. This is up on that list of greatest moments in AEW history. This whole segment. And and everybody had a hand in this. I mean, it, it, production, talent, matchmaking, the the bookers, the writers, the producers. I don't. You see, the genius of the Jade debut was Cody's doing a promo. This woman you've never seen before shows up. 
seems to be doing a promo in her own world. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Then the Brandy thing happened. So that's the second thing. And then after all that, if you remember, I think it was Cajun Starks attack Cody and Darby had to come through the crowd to save her. Just like with this one. There's all this stuff happening with Rick Ross and Keith Lee. And then even more bad shit happens that makes it even greater. Well, and and that's it. I got to be honest with you. Obviously, I've seen and been around and been a part of segments that had different moving parts and something would go off kilter or you'd have to cover for something. But I've never seen anything like this where it was like everybody involved in this segment. They just sent them out there and said, make some make some shit up on the fly. And they all had different ideas and did them at the same time. Tony was in the ring with Rick Ross, introduces Rick Ross, and then Tony didn't know who was coming out first. And and he actually said, I think we're bringing out Keith with a question mark. And there was an awkward pause. And then the music plays and here comes Keith Lee. And I'm thinking, well, now Tony will probably be able to get the next one right. You know, we've narrowed it down. But Rick Ross grabs a microphone from Tony. And this guy is supposed to be the mediator. But we've already established, I think, in the interview a few weeks ago, he was friends with Swerve, but now he makes the big introduce, introduction, introduction for Swerve. He introduced, let's bring out the young legend, Swerve. Hey, if you're Keith Lee in kayfabe at that point, don't you think something's up? One would think, hey, isn't he being a little more friendly to this guy than he is to me, our mediator, right? You would have to, but nevertheless. Swerve, like Merv. He sounded like Arthur Treacher. No music plays. There's a pause. Rick Ross says, hey, we, we, he asked for the music. He said, play the music, do this thing upright. And then nothing's happening. And here, and the Swerve ain't coming out. And that's when Ross turns around and looks at Keith Lee and just says right into the microphone on TBS, you know, you're a big motherfucker. <laughs> and I, what the? And <laughs> it went out live. So if you're watching live on yes. that one, you're like, did he just say that? <laughs> and there, it was it was done before they could even hit. Because if they're, I'm assuming they're still on a seven second delay or some kind of situation because they've been bleeping in the past when, but they, they don't always catch it. But there was no effort to catch it because it came out of nowhere. Because, you know, there's something going on in the production truck. They can't get the music to work. Something's happening. Everybody's standing around. And I bet the fucking, the guy on the, with his finger on the button was like, well, nothing's happening. And suddenly here's motherfucker. Oh, shit. Too late. So, and even Keith Lee goes over to the ropes and makes a cut his mic signal at his throat and makes a funny face to one of the floor producers off camera. And then Rick Ross is still talking. He's, we coming to make history. We coming to make, he keeps saying, we're coming to make history. And then he just starts ad-libbing, just saying shit. And at that point, there's never any music plays. Swerve just comes out talking on a microphone. And he's he's in a long black coat, and he's dragging something that you couldn't see. It was like a bag or a sack or a box or something. You couldn't really see it on the camera shot. But he's talking, and he's saying that he can't, sounds like a 
Bray Wyatt interview where he's saying shit, but he ain't getting to a point. But he said, I can't be putting up with all these accusations. And then Rick Ross starts doing Swerve's promo in the ring to Keith Lee's face over the top of Swerve. They're both talking at the same time. That's right. He can't be putting up with those accusations. And now Keith accusations. Lee is still standing there like, well, are you for me or against me? And he don't know what the fuck's going on. So then Swerve tells Keith Lee, you need to keep an eye out. You need to keep track of what's going on. As a matter of fact, you need to keep eyes in the back of your head. And then nothing happens. And then Rick Ross says, it's the young legend. <laughs> <laughs> we got to make history. And nothing's <laughs> happening. And then suddenly... Parker Boudreaux, who must have got stuck in that left turn at Albuquerque was solo. Let's stop. You know who he is. No one out there knows who he is. The people who watch the show every week have no idea who he is. Okay, well, listen to me for a second. He hits the ring, but he doesn't hit the ring and attack Keith Lee. He hits the ring and stands behind Keith Lee. And Parker Boudreaux, I'm now was going to explain, is the guy that they had signed in a WWE developmental, and he was there for a while, and they had big plans that originally, and then suddenly he was released, and he signed here, and we saw him once, and we haven't seen him again. It's been months. So, yes, you're right. Almost nobody in the building knew who the fuck it was. The announcer said Parker Boudreaux. So Parker comes from behind Keith Lee and spins him around and starts attacking him with some of the most awkward-looking shit that I have ever seen. It's like he was a bucket of disconnected arms and legs, just wailing away. And maybe this is why he got dropped at the Performance Center. Keith Lee never went down. He just went to the corner <laughs> and kind of cut... It's, it, this is becoming a running theme. Keith Lee doesn't really go down or sell. He just kind of leans over in the corner or on the floor and bundles up and they just kick him. So Parker, boom, 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 hits him with all this shit. Keith Lee just bends over and sells in the corner, then goes to shoot him off and Keith Lee reverses it and shoots Boudreaux off and clotheslines him over the top. And Parker got that bump, so he did that one. So then Keith Lee turns back to Swerve, who's still in the aisle, and Rick Ross has still got the microphone, and he's over in the corner going, whoa, whoa. Every time somebody takes a bump now, he's going to go, whoa. And Lee goes to start to go after Swerve and some big tattooed fucker with a mohawk and a tattooed face jumps Keith Lee in the aisle, and Keith Lee sits down on the floor <laughs> while the guy kicks him 10 times and they look like shit because you can tell as green as Parker Boudreaux is, this guy is greener than chlorophyll. I mean, awkward broad arms. He didn't really know what to do with Keith Lee once he got him down there. And Lee's getting back up and fighting him back. And then Boudreaux comes from behind with a chair to Keith Lee's back. Wham! And Keith Lee, he sold it like a reverse junkyard dog stiffen up and fall bump where he stiffened up and went to his knees and just rolled over on the floor. There must be a health issue going on where he can't take bumps or he can't, I don't know what the fuck. Anyway, they both got on him 
and didn't really know what to do because he's so big and he's so immobile and they're so green. So it looked more or less like they started humping him. Did you see that when they were, they had their bodies and they were kind of pelvis thrusting him into the goddamn back of the apron of the ring or whatever. I'm like, they're humping him. And while they're doing this, Rick Ross is screaming, it's time to make history. And they pull out the ring steps. And by the way, nobody is trying to break any of this up. Nobody's trying to stop it. There ain't no bell ring and there's no referees. They're just, there's a goddamn multi-platinum Grammy award-winning artist screaming, it's time to make history. While two jolly green giants are beating the shit out of a giant black hole of charisma. So then they put Keith Lee on top of the ring steps. And now they pull whatever he'd had in the bag or the sack or whatever. It's a fake cinder block. And it looked pretty good as they pulled it out, but you'll find out it's fake in a second. Because they pull out the cinder block and they set it on Keith Lee's chest as Keith Lee is laying back first on the steel ring steps. And then... While Swerve is climbing to the top rope, Rick Ross, and I listened to this five times, and this is as close as I can come to the transcription, Rick Ross is screaming, I need you to know it is official. Mogul Affiliates has farted it up. I don't know what he said. The name of their group is Mogul Affiliates, and it's official. Apparently, they farted it up. I don't know what. Did you hear what he could you tell what he was saying? I don't know what he was saying. Yeah. Mogul Affiliates, so, though. I don't know about that name. Mogul Affiliates. And so then Swerve comes off the top rope with a double foot stomp onto the fake cinder block, sitting on Keith Lee while he's laying on the ring steps, and the cinder block broke in a thousand pieces. Brian? I don't care if you weigh 500 pounds. If you set a cinder block on a human body and jump with both feet on that, is the cinder block going to bust in a million pieces or is the human body going to burst like a sack of fucking buzzard innards from a butcher shop? Which is going to happen? I've never seen a cinder block, Blake. I've never seen a cinder block. <laughs> I've never seen a cinder block break like that. And Rick Ross said, it is official. This was the biggest fiasco that I've ever seen in my life. Rick Ross doesn't know what he's doing in there. I, I, I guess probably they gave him the gist of what he was supposed to say, but he don't remember it. He's, he doesn't do wrestling promos. The, the two guys that they had attacked Keith Lee don't do wrestling angles. Never have before, most probably. The goddamn... The, it, it, you couldn't double foot stomp a guy off the top rope while he's laying on a fucking uh, set of ring steps 10 feet below. You've got to add a cinder block? Um... It, the whose music are we playing? The music don't work. Who's coming out? It was just incredible. And the motherfucker, you a big motherfucker. 
the plan nine of outer space of wrestling angles. They just uh, production layout, talent, delivery work, bad props, complete confusion. This is up there in the pantheon of the immortals. When Boudreaux got in there and started hitting Keith Lee, it was almost like when you're a kid and you play wrestler and you do a move and then you do like some, I don't know what you call it. You put your arms out like, ah, yeah, yeah. He did that after every single time he hit him. It looks so fake. And then the other thing is, and we don't know who the tattooed man will end up being. Apparently he's a former minor league baseball player that is uh, now part of AEW. But they've done this a few times. I don't think it ever works. The idea of debuting people you've never seen before in this fashion. Where all of a sudden they're just beating someone up. Or all of a sudden they're just there. And you have no idea who the hell they are. The only way that you can make a debut of an unknown is when they are not only... They have to, some combination of two things. Number one, they're incredibly visually impressive. And number two, they can do enough in the ring that you can give them three or four things to big moves to do and make an impact. And, and I know somebody's going to say, well, what this big six foot something tattooed face painted Mohawk fucking guy isn't visually impressive. Not these days. No. Cause everybody looks like that. I'm talking about Jonah. Uh, uh, what's it? What's his old name? Bronson Reed. Bronson Reed. Okay, he could be an unknown that can make an impression because you can bring that big fucking guy out and let him do that splash off the top rope and everybody go, holy fuck. It's like when you used to bring out the giant or Abdullah the Butcher or the goddamn freak or the behemoth or whatever. Somebody that's either tall enough or heavy enough or jacked enough or whatever that they stand out from whatever the current standards are and they can do even one or two things incredibly impressively, and you build the segment around that, that's a surprise debut. The first time people in the 70s saw Crusher Blackwell, he comes out looking like a fat fucking bearded country fuck. What is that? And then the, at the bell, he hits a guy on the chin with a drop kick at 450 pounds. Be, oh, shit! That's the kind of impression you need to make. And... Even if they look visually impressive, if they can't work, then that's, you know, half or more of the fucking thing to where they've got to be able to do a couple of things to get over. Bam Bam Bigelow. He could get over cold because as soon as he came out and did that cartwheel at that size and then it did a drop kick or whatever the fuck he did, then you're like, holy shit. It's a Jacob Fatu. He could get over cold because all he'd have to do is come out and have that animosity and fucking hit that big power slam or one of those big power moves and then the springboard moonsault. He, oh, shit. There was no oh, shit here. There was just plenty of shit, but no oh. So anyway, and then we were well, ready we're, for the... Go and ahead. One, one last thing, because we've seen a lot of various, mostly hip-hop people, but even Shaq, we've seen different celebrities show up and disappear quickly. Snoop Dogg, Trina, Mike Tyson. I forgot about Trina. Various people. Based on the way this angle happened and the way Rick Ross was on the mic the entire time, is he coming back? Is he going to be a part of this every week? Because he kind of, they kind of set it up so he has to be, didn't they? Well, if it made any sense, he would, 
the way this came off, he is the manager or the manipulator of the group putting these people together, mogul affiliates. But I would imagine if he's as big a star as everybody claims he is, since I couldn't pick him out of a police lineup, I'm sure he's probably been in a few, and I've never heard any of his music, I would, but I would have to think he's busy. So are they, they going to have him pre-tape instructions and send them in to the TVs he came? I don't know. And then, goddamn, if he does come back, I mean, is he going to get him kicked off television or is, is you know, is he going to forget what he's supposed to say or, you know, it could be wonderful. It could be just wonderful. But I haven't, one would think he would be involved with this group, but then one would think a number of things logically from things they do on this TV and it doesn't work out that way. I don't know. Uh, Jim, well, another topic that too many people have sent in, I'll ask a question for everyone. Have you seen this video of Tony Atlas with some woman punching him in the face and I saw stomping that him on, in the face? On Twitter yesterday, <laughs> and with no context as to why, how this was happening or where it was or when it was, but Tony tweeted it himself with a like a Happy New Year or something like that. Well, I have the caption here. Hashtag old school can give it and they can take it. Hashtag tough, hashtag old, hashtag man, exclamation point. Hashtag stomp, hashtag kick, hashtag punch. <laughs> it's all in the mind and making me feel fine. And uh, I'll try to get some audio here. Any thoughts on this? Well, he's, he, I'll try to describe it visually. Boy, this is one of the times I wish we weren't doing radio. He's laying... On the ground, face down, well, chest down, his head's turned to the side, and the the lady in question is standing over him, punching him in the side of his face repeatedly until the end of the video where she stands up and stomps him in the side of his face a couple times. Now, Tony has not made a secret that he enjoys a lady's feet and always has enjoyed women's feet probably enjoyed them to excess in a variety of ways. And, but I'm not sure where the just let this woman haul off and just start punching me in the jaw comes into it because that's not even involving the, the feet. <laughs> and also, to be perfectly honest, you know, if you're down there on the floor, you know, the woman's wearing a skirt or whatever, you might have a... A decent video, video, a decent visual to go along with getting in the proper mood for whatever. Because I got to be honest with you, this is one that's even beyond me, folks. But if you're trying to get in the proper mood, but this woman, perpetrator of said events that we've just been discussing, looked like if you took olive oil away from Popeye, got her hooked on meth for about five or ten years, and then put her for 20 to life in a women's prison. That's what she looked like. And he said, let's film this. Hold on. I and he some, said, let's film this. I have some audio here. Let's, uh, well, I will listen. Here's her punching him in the face. Yes. <laughs> 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 
Here come the stomps. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> ah, and you wanted to book him. <laughs> well, ah. I, I tell you what, we could have done some great angles. Well, I guess he doesn't want the boys to hit him like that, though. Again, I always but, heard he likes women in high heels to step on his face. One time well, on Mid South TV, he had a shirt. He actually wore with him laying down and some woman standing on his face. Yes, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I never heard he just wants like women he picked up outside of uh, the supermarket to come home and punch him in the fucking face. <laughs> and then he films it. He's just laying there on his side. It looks like he passed out and she's just as casual as you could yeah, be. Yeah, she just, she just bending over. just but And, and you got to bet, not only the, the timing... And the repetition, but also she was hitting very hard in safe places. She didn't hit him in the ear. She's apparently had some practice. Next time you say, give me a beat, here's what I'm going to play. <laughs> <laughs> yo, listen. Yo, yo, listen. <laughs> Tony Atlas in the house. And yes, that is a mouse <laughs> under his eye because he's feeling fine. Because olive oil kicked him in the face right here in this place. Yo. Jim, coming out of that, we have some more breaking news, or I don't know if you would call it breaking news, maybe hopeful news, because this could be a boon to the wrestling comedy industry. (laughs) The headline from the Sportster, Hulk Hogan spotted with Tom Cruise furthering Scientology recruitment (laughs) rumors. And this follows, and I didn't see this too closely. We'll look into it right now here on the air. Hulk Hogan apparently tweeting out signs that maybe he's involved with Scientology. <laughs> this, there's so many things to talk about here. What do you think of this? Well, first of all, you know, because I, I know he's, he's a big Christian fellow is Hulk Hogan. And I don't, is that, well, I guess I'm thinking of... Uh, the, the the Mormons, you know, Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, dum-dum-dum-dum-dum, on South Park. What do the Scientology folks believe? Are they the ones that we came from outer space, along with Michael Rennie and, and uh, you know, the, the Klaatu Barada Nikto, the whole nine yards? What has, has, has Hogan completely renounced Jesus and he's going with the Scientologists who think that we're we're spawns of foreign alien beings. What the fuck's going on here? I believe they believe in a Lord Xenu, a space god who's up there who froze people and then volcanoes erupted and everyone became unfrozen and their spirits are amongst all of us. Perhaps he gave up everything and believes that, or maybe, you know, he recognizes a free lunch. We really don't know. Well, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't want, you know, to think that Hulk would completely renounce JC and go to a completely, de- here's another related thought. Why is it always the God in the sky and devils down and it shouldn't some religion come along and flip the script, as they say, to kick things up a notch, turn things on its head. Let's put God in the middle of the earth and Satan's out in the sky. Cause think about this. If God was in the middle of the earth, that means he created it all around him. All the birds and the fishies and the little blue things in the sea and all that stuff. He created this magical world all around him, and he's in the center of it, the heart of it, where he can keep the blood and the life fluid pumping to all corners of it. 
And meanwhile, Satan, the devil, Mephistopheles, Mr. Scratch, he's out there in space, out in Never Never Land, away from us where scary things live. Why haven't they come up with that backstory? You're giving him more territory than God. Well, that's, there's, there's not a lot out there, though. It's like we gave him Montana. It's big, but it's empty. So that's just a, something that ran through my mind. But yeah, back to the Scientology. So what is uh, Hogan has not only been seen with Tom Cruise, but apparently he's tweeted out allusions uh, to uh, alluding to potentially following the Scientology principles. And since I don't know what the fuck they are, this has escaped me until now. Well, again, this is from an article in the Sportster by Josh Colson. Let me scan down a little. Hogan sparked rumors that he was the Church of Scientology's latest celebrity recruit when he started dating known Scientologist Sky Daly. Known Scientologist? That's like... That's, yeah. Known arsonist. <laughs> that is a really harsh way to say that she that's believes just, in this. Just, Pam, here, that's for you. The belief that he is at least courting the controversial religious group has been furthered this week after Hogan was spotted taking in an NFL game with Tom Cruise. Cruise has been the world's most famous Scientologist for a very long time. He's also five foot two. Reported by T... Now, I added that. Wait, I was about to say, is that the official measurement from uh, the, <laughs> the head, head office in Zurich, Switzerland? Reported by TJR Wrestling, the site highlighted a tweet from Aaron Smith 11 revealing Cruz and Hogan had been spotted at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus Dallas Cowboys game. The additional tidbit in the Hogan Scientology story also includes a previous tweet revealing the WWE Hall of Famer has been posing for photo opportunities with known Scientologists <laughs> with Scientology-owned businesses as the backdrop. <laughs> I mean, it's a wacky religion, but the way they're making it sound like it's the fucking Nazis or something. Uh, and also, I think I'm, I'm with you. I think uh, he's cashing in on an opportunity. Take a picture with you in front of your fucking thing. Sure. How much uh, would you like to give me for that? Listen, it's so easy. Here's how it goes. Come on in. Just talk to them. It's so cool. You're dating me. You get to fuck me. You get to come in here, talk to my friends. Okay. I get to fuck you. I remember that. You go in there, you talk to them. They're like, hey, let us get you lunch. All right. And we'll just keep talking to you. All right. Hey, you know what? You're a big star. One, you want to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game with Tom Cruise? Sure, brother. All right, we'll set that up. He just says yes to anything. They keep handing him shit because he's Hulk Hogan. But you have to do an audit in Scientology. Wait a minute. Hold on now. Well, at various points in time, Hogan's books have been none too fucking good. But then he won that big lawsuit. So he may be, he may be all right. I don't mean a financial audit. audit. I mean... What other kind is there? An audit of the soul, I guess. You hold these cans and they monitor what you tell them and they ask you to tell them everything wait what i saw this there's a documentary there's a book and a documentary called going clear that showed all this and also the book came out first the book you can read about all of it but okay so you need canned goods is what you're saying well they give you these two things you hold on to them and it's basically a lie detector test about yourself and you have to keep doing it 
So imagine if Hulk Hogan's there. Why well, he blow up the whole goddamn deal, Matthew? Why well, he would the biggest fucking liar in wrestling history has to go tell the truth over and over I, and over. I thought I, I thought that was tornado sirens I heard the other night. That was Hogan strapped up to the machine at the Scientologist. So they they hold on to the thing and they tell them the they tell the lies and they did they get electrocuted or does it shock therapy does it shock them straight or shock them into Scientology? No, they don't believe in therapy. I believe because remember Tom oh. Cruise went crazy on Matt Lauer on the Today Show years ago, jumping well no no he jumped up and down on a different show on that show he just got mad because he knows more than the therapists and he knows more than everyone and. Matt was glib. I remember that was the phrase. So what's Hogan going to do here, you think? It's interesting. If he joins Scientology, that's a lot of PR muscle behind them. They put money behind their stars. They expect... Their stars. They expect subservient <laughs> behavior uh, to a certain degree, unless you're Tom Cruise. But if he ever tried to leave, they would destroy his life. But yeah, no, I mean, Hogan, if you think about who the big Scientologists are nowadays, Tom Cruise, who's bigger right now, Hulk Hogan or John Travolta? Oh, good God. Just are there dedicated websites and fan sites and a massive social media presence for Saturday Night Fever, like there are for wrestling, I would have to think that even though Travolta may be a more widely known worldwide mainstream celebrity, just because of his age and tenure uh, and and the movies and et cetera, right now you would get more people talking if you had Hulk Hogan involved than John Travolta. To me. Interesting. Okay. So you think Hulk Hogan right now is a bigger star than John Travolta? No, I say he's got more dedicated people that give a shit. I'm saying more people know who John Travolta is. Hulk Hogan probably draw you a bigger crowd. If Hulk Hogan becomes a Scientologist, what do you think the move is for Ron Howard? Not Hollywood's Ron <laughs> Howard. Ron <laughs> Howard. <laughs> Ron Howard of the Hulk Hogan surf shop or whatever, the beach shop, the beach store. Not Hulk Hogan's. Beach hut. Not, I forget what not, it is. Not Opie Taylor, but Dopey Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to have to come up with a whole new backstory for a lot of shit if they switch over to the Scientology gimmick. Oh, man. He's going to have to rewrite all his material. All kidding aside, if it's about recruitment, it is a brilliant move. Forget about fans. If you're just trying to get to wrestlers, getting Hulk Hogan to be a part of Scientology, and I think from what I see here on, once again, Google, however reliable this is, about 25,000 worldwide believers, getting him's a big move, not just for the general public, but I think if you want to make inroads into wrestling, especially amongst older wrestlers. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the younger generation, uh, one thing they have figured out maybe is that Hogan's full of shit, but uh, um, some of the guys of his generation that haven't done as well as he has uh, on several things and maybe fucking wander around looking for something might fall for something like that. 
Mr. Hogan, how much did Andre the Giant weigh when you body slammed him? 700 pounds, brother. Mr. Hogan, how much did Andre the Giant weigh? Well, 600 pounds. How much did Andre the Giant weigh? <laughs> the machine's going to explode. <laughs> Incoming. Oh, well, Jim, let's move on from Hulk Hogan and Scientology to people being hit in the head. (laughs) (laughs) To something that's not very scientific. Anyway, we got some some communications from the cult of Cornet, and I have no order of events for these emails because I've been trying to call this morning. I was trying to call Corky the Lumberjack. That's been a fruitless task because I'm sure he's out taking trees off people's houses. But we, you know, we we need we need fence people. We need the tree people. We a lot of people are going to be called into action on this. And the neighbor was most upset because that was her. Remember last time it was my favorite evergreen. Now it's her favorite evergreen. So I have no order to these emails. We'll do the best we can. Hopefully they'll. Make you uh, cheerful and happy more than I am at this point. Right, Brian's going to be cheerful and happy. Let's see how this goes. All right. Well, Ryan from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, writes in, uh, Jim and Brian, I've been listening to you for a while now, often when I'm running or at the gym. But recently, my 10-year-old cat, Reggie, was diagnosed with lymphoma. (laughs) Why are you laughing about that? I can't do it. I was going to try to not break up on On Reggie the cat with lymphoma. Why is that funny to you? Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we all have weird senses of humor in one way or another. No, we can't do that to poor Reggie, can we? We Poor Reggie, like Reggie's going to listen? I thought I could get by with that transition. I look down. Well, should we air this? <laughs> now you see why Casey Kasem didn't want to do the dead dog dedication. <sighs> should I start again? You can. I'll <laughs> just to see what. <laughs> Let's talk about this serious story. Now I'll be able to take it serious. Now that you've lost it about. <laughs> Reggie the cat with lymphoma. I'm sure I'll be able oh to keep it together golly. during this. Well, Ryan, we're sorry to hear about Reggie. We're all broken up. We're broken up. <laughs> See, he says this past week has been the hardest week of his life. Stop laughing. See, that's not part of the funny part. <laughs> but he found that for a brief moment he was able to ease the pain by listening to the draft through. <laughs> I'm glad we could be there for you. You too, Reggie. Uh, uh, right, say if, <laughs> if we do decide to use that right, I'm sorry. <laughs> it just stuck me the wrong way. Uh. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Reggie. I think I'm making my nose bleed. I can't believe I can't believe this got you uh, <laughs> the way it has. I was looking at the email printed out, son of a bitch. Well, uh, once again, we send our very best wishes to Reggie. <laughs> Stop doing the show. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've taken a second here because I don't know what 
of what we just did that people may or may not hear. Maybe if Brian Last hates me, we'll hear all of it. But I struck myself wrong with that transition. I couldn't get in. You know, it was Casey Kasem. But that's what the that's the ride we took. Brian Last, I'll have you know. It certainly is. How long have we been on this ride? I could have got from here to fucking Atlanta by now. It's been a while, and of course, the while does not end now because we have AEW Revolution, we have a drive-through, we have more shows to review, we have A and E biography and rivals and Tony Khan's be... press scrum. Oh, are we going to scrum again? Is that what you would say? Do I you... hate to go scrumming. Do you use it as a verb? You think? Yeah, I think at this point it's going scrumming. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just here going scrumming. Tony's scrumming again. Like yeah. that? Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to be doing again. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff over the next seven days, folks. So uh, stick Any with Any updates us. on Reggie the Cat? We'll oh, come know. on now. I apologize for it. it, it, it it's, I was hoping to go to the well of emails from our fine listeners to bring the mood up. And the first thing I see is a cat that's been diagnosed with lymphoma. And I just, I had that reaction. I apologize profusely. And to Reggie's parent as well. But anyway. We remember Reggie's name. We don't remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) Reggie's going to live on forever now because of what happened. Because of Reggie. The official cat of the cult of Cornet, Reggie. He'll he'll have that title from now on. And Harley will welcome him with open arms and paws. Well, there it is, Jim. The Funniest Moments, Volume 2. There will, of course, be a Volume 3 with moments that happen in the future as well as more hidden gems from the past. See, now you're stealing my line, the hidden gems. Well, we're not going to hide them. We're going to bring them right out here in front of you where you can get a good whiff of the bullshit, folks. That's what we're going to do next time. Right. Where, where do you keep the gems, sir? What my my family gems? I I keep them right here, close to me at all times, where I can keep an eye on them. Well, keep an eye on what we're doing, of course, on Twitter and wherever you find your favorite podcast, the Jim Cornette Experience and Jim Cornette's Drive Through. But until you hear us there, for Jim Cornette, I'm the Great Brian Last. Tally ho!